That's a wrap, folks. What a game. A lot to unravel. Um, it looked like Iowa had come unraveled. And yet, somehow, this team still has a chance to win the West by coming back from, what was it, 21-6? to six? So 15 down, Iowa scores 22 straight points. It wasn't pretty. Neither quarterback looks good. The offense doesn't look good. The refs were really working against Iowa early. We can talk about that. But in the end, Iowa has a shot to win the West. They are now 10-2. and two, And we're going to start off our show by taking a call here early. Thank you for calling Iowa postgame at the Voice of College Football. How about them Hawkeyes? Well, uh, how does it feel to be the biggest Gopher fan <laughs> tomorrow? Well, uh, I was going to be a Gopher fan either way because I'd much rather Minnesota go to the title game than Iowa. But is this our Minnesota caller? Yep, this is Minnesota Dave. Well, I I, I don't want to uh, patronize you, Minnesota Dave, but uh, I, I I'm sorry to uh, I'm sorry that you're having to come to the reality that now Minnesota is eliminated, but. Uh, yeah, you could still that, help a lot of Hawkeye fans out tomorrow with a win. Yeah, well, if you don't lose to Illinois and you don't lose to Iowa, you don't put yourself in that situation. Well, you're, so. you're right. You are absolutely right. What did you think of the game you today? Uh, uh, emotional. You were rooting <laughs> for. You were obviously rooting for Nebraska, right? I mean, let's just call oh, it spade yeah. a spade. Oh yeah. I mean, I think. I think they have a they have a good future quarterback, and I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, he looked good. He looked good. Um, but unfortunately, there's an issue. I mean, there's obviously issues that we don't understand because it doesn't matter what happens in a game, who's playing at quarterback, what the score is, they will find a way to lose every single time. Yeah, and that and that's and that's. I mean, you look at block punt totally, you know, ends up being the whole momentum shift. Yeah. You know, block yeah, you're right. touchdown, you know, then that's the whole momentum shift. And then the fumble, you know, at, at the end. Near like the oh, yeah. No, the, the, Nebraska uh, was just begging Iowa to win this game. Just begging Iowa to win the game. And Iowa, just because this offense is so putrid, and that's a fact, it's putrid, because it's so bad, it's almost like Iowa just refuses. I mean, this defense and this special teams unit has repeatedly put Iowa in this position. Um, and more often than not, they've been so good. And that's why Iowa's won 10 games. Now, the Wisconsin and Purdue game, obviously, um, you know, the defense and special teams in both on both sides really were not the best. And, of course, you don't have an offense that can overcome a bad showing from your defense. And that's why you're 10-2. and two. The defense is spectacular. Nebraska's got problems everywhere, and this is exactly the kind of game that we would have expected heading into this game. I mean, obviously, we, I didn't expect Iowa to fall down by that much, but we all thought it was going to be close. We had no faith in Nebraska winning a close game, and we had pretty much had faith that Iowa's defense would find a way to put Iowa on top because they've done that 10 out of 12 times this year, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and when you're up 21-6, to six, just about the start of the fourth quarter, 
you're thinking to yourself, I mean, if I'm a Nebraska fan, I'm thinking, well, finally, we're going to finally get this win. Right. And then everything just falls apart well, right I think, then and there. Yeah, that, that fumble by uh, Smothers, that was it as far as Nebraska's mindset. That, that you could it. tell they were that completely was, yeah, that, deflated. That you know, I knew right when the fumble happened, I'm like, well, we're, they're, they're going to they're win this game. Well, I didn't they're, know, they're but you felt like it, it's amazing that as an Iowa fan, I was still unsure, and yet you know the Nebraska fans were saying exactly what you just did. They, they you could just tell yeah. the the wind, the, the air just got sucked out of that stadium at that I'm point. On the phone, guys. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, as far as it relates to to Minnesota, Nebraska, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, um, I'll never root harder for the the Gophers than I will tomorrow. Um, and I sure hope Iowa fans don't come on the show today and say, well, we don't want to win the West because we're going to get steamrolled by Ohio state or Michigan. That's ridiculous. A stupid mindset. Um, that's a loser's mindset. So go Gophers. You know, and I'll I'll be honest with you, of all the defenses I've seen, I think, you know, I mean, other than maybe Wisconsin's late lately, but, uh, if there's a defense, I feel that could Maybe can at least hold, like have a chance to beat Ohio State. I don't think they will. Or well, keep yeah, let's, in the game. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy with that in that conversation, but uh, let's get a win if you're Minnesota first. I mean, let's hope that Minnesota can find a way yeah. to beat Wisconsin because that rivalry has been one sided, as you know. Oh yeah, it, it's been horribly one sided. <laughs> it's been one sided uh, like crazy. Um, and it's been, like, I have a bunch of, like, you know, Badger fans I play that went to Wisconsin that I play softball with that just rub it in my face every dang time. And it's gotten, it's gotten really obnoxious the last, well, shoot, almost, like I said, almost 30 years the last time, you know, it's only been, I think, what, five wins in the last 30 years. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, you're right. The, the rivalry has been extremely one-sided, and the games haven't been close. That's the thing. Not only have the win-loss column, that's been one-sided, but the games have not been close with the exception of, what, three years ago? Yeah, you know, the, 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 yeah, the games haven't been all that close. Um, and last year was close. Last year they went the overtime. Um, and they uh, Minnesota lost on the missed. Uh, miss field goal try for the the they keep, they keep the overtime going, right? And then uh, and then you know the it, even the game that we played and won against them that wasn't even close because Minnesota totally dominated in 2018. That's true. So let's hope we get that type of game. Yeah, you're right. You know, um, there's been. It hasn't been like super duper close probably since I would say the 05 block punt game, which is a horrible memory for every Gopher fan. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it could easily get lopsided tomorrow with Minnesota's uh, offense not being real high powered, and, and certainly Minnesota. I mean, I, I I don't like I don't like Minnesota in the game tomorrow. I mean, obviously, I, I'm I picked I made my picks yesterday with my heart, and I said I, I'm picking Minnesota, but. I, like I said last week, I had I think Nebraska had a better shot of beating Wisconsin than Minnesota does. 
but I hope I'm wrong. And the point is, Iowa can't control that. And they did what they needed to do today to keep themselves alive. And we'll see. I mean, hopefully a lot of uh, happy Gophers and happy Hawkeyes tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really hoping for that, too. So, uh, you know, go Gophers, and I'll talk to you later. All right. Appreciate the call, Dave. All right. And we are going to be joined by Coach Don Patterson here momentarily. In the meantime, we'll get to our second caller here. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game at the Voice of College Football. Who's this? Hello, it's me, Roberto. Hey, Roberto. So, how was the offensive showing today? Uh, what showing? I don't know. <laughs> Either, uh, they, um, no, the, 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 off- <laughs> the offense is terrible. That hasn't changed. But the running it, game was so much. Yeah, the, all day. Let well, me say this. You're an outsider looking in, and you're absolutely right. The run game has improved, but there's I still can't stand the outside zone. I don't know why we continue to, to run it. I, I get it's part of the system, it's part of Kirk Ferentz. He's all you know, that's just part of his uh, shtick, I guess. Um, but it just continues to disappoint me. But no, the off the offensive line is playing better football now. There's no question about that, and Kirk has alluded to that. Um that's not why they won today. <laughs> they won today because, well, I think a very, I think I would say top three factors. You got to give credit, obviously, to Iowa's off or defense, special teams play, turn turn the game around, and then Nebraska just. I mean, the common thing, the commonality with with Nebraska and their schedule is okay. every single week they play teams close and find ways to lose. So you, you've got to not taking credit away from Iowa, but you've got to give the Nebraska side of things some attention because certainly. They do this every week. Mm-hmm. I think all well, least when my team plays them, well, I think we kind of handled them pretty well, but we just couldn't put them away. Especially, right. I think a near back fumble from ZJ Shroud almost could have been disastrous, and I would have been yelling my ass off at Ryan Day for that for trying to pass when he should have just ran down the clock. Yeah, but. Nebraska's close. They've obviously got the talent. Um, that's why I think Frost, uh, he's not getting fired. I think that's pretty clear at this point. But, I mean, what else do you turn to uh, besides coaching when you repeatedly lose in the same ways week after week after week in close ball games? To me, that's, that comes down to, to coaching. Um, but Trev Alberts has spoken. He's, he's probably back for another year, it sounds like. How is Nebraska's quarterback? Because I think Andrew Martinez is going to move on. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if Adrian moves on, they've got their future with Smothers. I mean, he looked good, looked really good for most of the game. Now that fumble was huge. That was a, that was on Logan Smothers. It was a bad fumble, and and that really really hurt Nebraska's momentum. Because safety. Say it again. Did that, did, that fumble, did that fumble led to that safety? So I think I I was alternating channels between the Texas Kansas State game and then your game. No, well, that sort of led to sort of led to the save safety because they fumbled. Iowa goes three and out, which was ridiculous. But you go three and out, and then Tory Taylor pins Nebraska back and give Tory tons of credit. He does it every week, pins them deep, and then of course the defense went to work, caused the safety. So yeah, it was it was all part of the the comeback. But um, no, he, he it's Logan Smothers impressed me today. He did. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the heck happened on that last play. What was he throwing that I, ball? I, I don't know what he saw. I don't know what he saw. 
I'm just happy there was a. I'm happy Jamari Harris was where he was because they were marching down the did field. Hit him and, <laughs> did someone hit him hard and made him go colorblind? <laughs> Mistaken the red and bl- the black and white jerseys as red and white. Well, he took he, he took some hits, and especially in that fourth quarter, the defense uh, finally got home. They were struggling for a lot of this game, and they finally got home in the fourth. And and um, yeah, you got to give the defense all kinds of credit. We've been saying it all year. And so, so I guess that's it for me. So all just, right, Roberto. Uh, are you heading the roads, heading through the bowl season, or possible big? I don't know about possible big ten championship trip. If, but we may see if if Minnesota wins tomorrow. If Minnesota wins tomorrow and Ohio State wins tomorrow, we'll see you in Indy. All right. All right, Roberto. Uh, hope you any bowl game you got. What's that? Hopefully the off. Hopefully you keep going with your run game. I yeah. Don't know about the passing game. It should improve in, with bowl prep as well. All right, then I'll see you later. All right, Roberto. Have a great night. All right. Appreciate the early activity on our phone lines. We're going to add Coach Don Patterson to the mix here. Let me get a little bit. Uh, let me bring the. There we go. Now we can. Everybody can see you, Don. What a game! What a way to finish the regular season. Um, we say it every week. Nebraska finds ways ways to lose, and for the most part, Iowa finds ways to win. What's your initial takeaway? Yeah, I think you're right, Corey. Really, it's a it's just a question of culture. <clears throat> we have a culture of winning. You know, that's based on what we've done over recent years. Nebraska doesn't enjoy that same culture, and so when when things don't go right for a period of time, then I think the players that play at Nebraska have that sense of impending doom. You know, it's happened over and over and over again. I just heard on TV the first time that a team in the history of college football that lost um, eight games by, I guess, nine if you count Oklahoma, by single digit. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. It's hard to hard to come close and lose, but they seem to have it down to an art now. Absolutely. And um, we're going to get to the first thing I want, really want to talk to you about, Don, here after we take this call is the parameters that were essential to victory heading into this game. Before we do that, let's take our caller. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game at the Voice of College Football. Who's this? Hey, guys. This is Sean Nickel calling from Jacksonville Beach, Florida. Hey, Sean. How are you? You a Hawkeye? I'm a Hawkeye, and I want to tell you guys, I've been a Hawkeye fan since I was 10 years old, and that would have been 1980, so... Coach, I was listening to you guys, and, uh, well, I had to do farm work, so usually Saturdays we were chopping wood, and Hayden Fry, you know, was a hero to all of us kids, and now here, you know, it goes all the way to Coach Farron, so thanks for all the memories. It's been our pleasure. And I know this is a little early, and we got to talk about this game, but my question, um, what do you guys think with every player eligible to come back next year, uh, how good are the Hawkeyes going to be? Don, do you want to take that first? Well, we certainly have a chance. We, we've, our punter's already decided he's coming back too, so that's good. Really good. Um, 
we're going to miss number 10. We're going to miss Shudak. So I don't know who the next place kicker is going to be. So that's a concern. But in so many cases, we have all kinds of key players coming back. You know, we, we'll lose – correct me if I'm wrong, Corey. We'll lose Hankins, right? Does he have any opportunity to come back? I don't believe so. He he and Van Valkenburg are gone. Van Valkenburg, of course. Well, he- pardon. My understanding is seniors were given an extra year eligibility. But I believe Hankins exercised that last, last year, caller, because he was a senior last year. Okay, understood. Yeah, and I believe Van Valkenburg's in the same boat. Yeah, they're actually what we call super seniors right now. Right, right now, right. This is there's there. Is that right, Corey? This is that they're sixty year. If if they'd already been redshirted somewhere along the way, it'd be right. the sixty year. Hankins is in his fifth year because he played as a true freshman. Never redshirted. Gotcha. Well, my understanding is it might be a COVID-related extension from the NCAA, but I right. could be wrong. Yeah, you're you're right, but I think. Again, the only players that would not apply to are Van Valkenburg and Hankins because I believe they already took that COVID year and they never redshirted. So you don't just get a, an extra free redshirt. That redshirt is the COVID year for them, if that makes sense. Understood. Well, that still brings back most of the special teams and uh, 20 players or, or 19. Yeah, and I, I don't know how many. I mean, la- we got to remember, too, last year there were a lot of guys that I was surprised they did not take that extra COVID year. Jack Heflin was a guy, uh, Andrew Schulte on the defensive line. There were a number of guys, Koi Kronk on the offensive line. So I don't know. Maybe, Don, you have some insight on this, but there's no guarantee that Kirk is going to take a ton of guys back. Um, obviously, the guys he took this past year were huge Hankins, Van Valkenburg, and Shudak, Don. Right. Yeah, a good example would be our our offensive guard um, shooter, as they call him. Is that right? That, I think Shot, he, yeah, that's his yep. nickname. Um, he made the comment even. He said, "Well, I don't even know for sure that the coaches would invite me back because it's a number problem." You know, I, as I understand right. it, they still have the same scholarship limitation. I think going forward, at least, now, maybe this this past year it was waived. Correct. But I believe going forward, we're back to 85 scholarships, I think. Yeah, I, I believe you're right. Yeah, I don't know that for a fact, but I suspect that's the they case. Have, let me just add this, Don. They do have a small class of 22 recruiting class. So there's a factor caller that maybe you can get some some of these guys more than last year back because the class of 22 isn't real big. Well, I'll leave you guys with this one. Uh, you know, we've many of us have been Hawkeye fans. I guess now it's 40 years, and we always have a lot of hope. Uh, we all get our hearts broken. We can think back to '85, and uh, I remember being out there. I, I didn't get to watch the games usually because, I, as I said, we, we were an old farmhouse. We had to chop wood on Saturday. But uh, listening, you know, to Ohio State get that rain game against Chuck Long broke our hearts, and we got our hearts broken again this year. So uh, I'm just hoping next year is the year. Hey, you know what? I, I, I know I, when you say next year is a year for a playoff or for a Big Ten title game, because they still got a shot at the Big Ten title game. Uh, I'm, I'm holding on for tomorrow. Uh, I certainly yeah. am. But yeah, yeah, Big Ten, just to have, just to, I guess if you want to call it that, just the chance to fulfill all the potential. Um, right. I- you know, we don't we don't want to get too too greedy, um, and, and if they expand that playoff a couple of years down the road, I get in there, you know, quite often with um, I think it's twelve teams, but 
Um, just that chance that, like in 85, we all knew they had that potential to go even further. Um, here comes Ohio State in the brain, and you lose by a couple points. Right. You're right. You're absolutely right. That, that I, might be a little bit. That's a little bit before your time, Mark. But you, you, I'm sure you know your history quite well. Yeah, yeah, that is before my time. Um, and I will say this: as far as Iowa moving forward, I do think they they've got some big question marks at quarterback. Well, who knows? Maybe they'll uh, look at what Purdue did and start playing quarterback by committee until somebody shows forth. Yeah. I, I, you know, and, and these guys will improve. You'd, you'd have to think, I hope, you know, you don't, you don't expect guys to plateau. So uh, you're right. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of potential. Perhaps this is the year to have a smaller recruiting class coming in because you have guys that you could bring back and have experience as opposed to a, a group of young guys coming in. Well, I'll, I'll leave it to you guys. I want to say thanks a lot, Coach. Thanks, uh, you know, you along with many others, you know, going back to, to Hayden Fry, taking a chance on on that little college up in the cold. And uh, it's been great memories. So let's look forward to more. Appreciate the call. Absolutely do. And um, Don, before we get to our next caller, I do want to talk to you briefly uh, about the parameters that were essential to victory today heading into the game. And I would guess, I would venture to say that Iowa didn't win more than half of them, but I could be wrong. And specifically first quarter scoring, I know is essential. Although turnovers, I guess, did swing. Um, is the safety, first of all, is the safety, you consider that a turnover? They don't officially consider it a turnover, no. Okay, so what were the parameters that were essential to victory today, Don? Well, one of the frustrations I had when I finished off the parameters, what I call the ball evaluation, the evaluation that's specific for Nebraska, uh, none of them were 100% reliable. But the interesting thing about it, they weren't 100% reliable because of the same team over and over again. That team's called Nebraska. They were the negative exception in all but one case. Let me just give you an example. I looked at all the Big Ten games. Of course, that only included one win, as you know, one one sided win over Northwestern. I included Oklahoma. So I had nine games in that sample. And um, in the Northwestern game, Northwestern won exactly one of those top 25 parameters. So they were the negative exception in one case in that game. And in all those other games, the negative exception every time was Nebraska, and typically they were the negative exception maybe three or four times out of those nine games. So um, it was frustrating to look at it from that standpoint because no parameter was 100%. One of them was eight for nine, as I recall, and that was, I believe, first touchdown or first quarter scoring. I can't remember, and I don't have my, I don't have my, my analytics in front of me right now. I can ask Lisa to get them off the upstairs. But um, as I gave them to Kirk, I said, none of these are very worthwhile because in all cases, sometimes significantly less than 100%. But the good news is Nebraska was always the negative exception. So good news, it means you can lose some parameters and still win the game. And today, I think that was probably proven all over again. We lost on 
more than a few parameters, I guess. I don't know how many offhand, but like you mentioned, Corey, we did we did lose on the first touchdown. We did lose on first quarter scoring, and those are two of the biggest. When you look at Big Ten play over the entire season, those are two, two of the most reliable, and I do have the updated analytics on all Big Ten games. And I know for a fact, without even looking, that the two highest indicators for winning are first touchdown of the game and and scoring edge in the first quarter. We lost both those today, too. But yet, they come back, and they're down 21-6, first of all, Don. Um, right. And the commentators made a valid point. This team is not built to come from behind, especially when you have um, a quarterback situation. I mean, even when you have a quarterback who's stable, like a Nate Stanley or a, a Ricky Stanzi, Iowa's offense under Kirk has never been equipped to overcome big deficits. And today, obviously, Brian and Kirk did, or someone didn't like what Alex was showing in the first half. They switched things up. And I, I tweeted out at that point, this is either this is going to be a coaching win or a coaching loss because that's a big move to make uh, midway yeah, through the game on the road. I would suggest to you, Corey, one of the reasons they made it is because they they felt when the offense goes on the field here in the third quarter, uh, we're going to be behind by 15. Now, I don't know exactly how – when did we actually block the punt? I lose track of time now. It was in the third quarter, I'm sure. It was either very late in the third or early in the fourth, but I think you're right, late in the third. Let's see. They were driving. No, it must have been early fourth. It was early fourth because a lot happened in that first minute. Because in the fourth, we scored you know in that north end zone, and and Nebraska finished the game driving to the south end zone. So it was fourth quarter when that happened. So the clock was getting low. That's for sure. Um, anyway, my point was, if we knew we were going to get a kicking game score, then maybe we wouldn't have made that move. Because honestly, I felt, probably as you did, Corey, I felt that Alex had certainly played okay. Not great, but certainly played okay. Our problems were more in slowing down Nebraska's offense. Uh, you know, two 75-yard drives, both in the first half. So we did a poor job of getting off the field. I give Nebraska a lot of credit with the way they executed. I think we underestimated. I know I made a note that I think that's worth making. I mentioned uh, second-half goals, and I, I wrote them down, so I'll share them with you now. But it, those second-half goals all related to the first half. On offense, keep pushing the run game. We were running the ball well. We were. That continued. <clears throat> Number two, exploit with play-action pass. We, um, I thought to get back in the game, we were going to have to do some of that. A prime example, though, how about this? It was, it was fake left, roll right and throw back again. This time it wasn't to number 89, Reganey, on what I would call an over that turns into a flag. This time the backside receiver was Laporta with the same identical route, yes. except he simply ran it from an, an attached alignment versus a split alignment of Reganey back in the day. Same exact play with just a different receiver. Different look, of right. course, because because he was the widest receiver on the field. And in the case of the Penn State game, Regini was in the slot, you might recall. He was not the widest player. Same result, right. though, a big gainer. I think that was worth about 30, as I recall. Um, defensive priorities for second half. Number one, generate turnovers. We had zero turnovers at halftime. Number two, respect Smothers' speed. I think we underestimated his speed in that first half, and that gave him – that extended some drives because at halftime he had 14 carries, as I recall. Let me look it up here. 
14 carries for 64 yards. Uh, he also threw in the first half five for five for 58 yards. That is a very efficient first half, 122 yards total offense. Uh, and the team at that point, uh, this might have been before the – this was before halftime, more I think about it. Uh, at that point, after those um, – well, I guess I'm not sure exactly when, but at, at this point in the game, their first 31 plays, they were 26 runs, five passes. They were run heavy. And maybe we expected that much option. I don't know. They had a nice little wrinkle. How about how about an option play off of outside zone? You saw that one time. Yeah. Um, good look, and it, and it worked. But anyway, the first TD drive, 12 plays, 75 yards. The second TD drive, 13 plays, 75 yards. So, um, you know, we, we were selling for field goals. And, of course, the turnover that killed us was that fumble in the red zone. Um, you know, that was costly, obviously, because it looked like we were going to be right back in the game before halftime. And then the, um, the fumble changed everything. Don, I do want to interject here real quick. Um, we've got a couple calls lining up. I want to take the first one here, but I want to comment on on your um, your point right there. The the fumble in the red zone in the second half from Goodson, Iowa, driving the ball down the field well. They seem to take, as the commentators brought out, two, two steps forward, one step back. Uh, they had a lot of negative yardage plays on that drive, but they continued to move the chains. And when that fumble occurred, I thought, that's it. I, I, I just, to me, how do you overcome that when you're already in a huge hole uh, did you kind of feel the same way at the time, Don? I did. And the frustration, of course, that was an unforced error because, as you saw in the replay, Tyler actually just ran into Linderbaum. Right. The two Tylers collided. Yeah. All right. Let's let's uh, let's get to our caller who's been patiently waiting here. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game at the Voice of College Football. Who's this? This is Alex from Cedar Rapids. Alex from Cedar Rapids. How'd you like uh, your counterpart, Alex's performance in the, sec- in the uh, first half? Um, gosh, I don't know. He had, you know, I, he didn't, I, I don't think he played horribly, but he didn't play really that good. He had what, probably two or three passes that probably should have been intercepted. Yeah. And I he's mean, done that a lot. These the last three. North. He's, he's had a lot of those, these last three games. He's had a lot of picks that have been dropped. So, you know, and you know, when Peters came in, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a fan of it's like, Oh crap, well, here we go. You know, here comes Peach. I was like, okay, let's, let's see what he can do. And it, to me, it didn't seem like he – he didn't lose us the game, but it didn't feel like he kind of won us the game. It was more nope. or less Tyler Goodson kind of, you know, with that 50, what, 55, 56-yard run. And it was just all just, you know, kind of downhill from there. So I don't think he – he didn't obviously lose us the game, but I don't feel like he won us the game either. So yeah. Here's what I'll say on that real quick, and then I know you called in to probably make a different point. Um, I'm proud of Spencer because he has been a team guy throughout the quarterback change. And he came in and he missed some throws. I mean, he had a first down to Sam Laporte in the red zone where he just airmailed it. But he did lead this team to a victory. And again, we we like Don always says, we do give too much credit to quarterbacks for losses or for wins and, and too much blame for losses. But I give him credit just for hanging in there and coming in there and they did win the game. So you're right. He did not lose this game for Ohio and he very well could have it. He throws a pick on that touchdown drive. Uh, it might have it might have been over. I mean, who knows? We will never know. No, and uh, I don't know if you guys caught this. I, I can't think of the play, but did you see him escape the pocket? <laughs> Something we haven't seen from him yeah. at all. I don't know why. He, 
the one play where he rolls right and he could have at least gotten four or five yards. And I don't know why he airmailed it out of bounds. To me, he's got to, you know, I know he's not a scrambler, but learn to tuck that ball and and even if you're not going to slide, just fall down for a two or three yards at least. Anyways, but you're right. He, he showed some flexibility. And, and the offensive line has improved. Remember, he hasn't played in like four games. I think the O-line is pass protecting better than they were when he was in there last. So you'll see a difference if he continues to play because of that line play. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, I, and I've noticed that too, especially against Minnesota and Illinois. That I thought the pass protection was getting better and better. And in this game, obviously, I thought it was – I mean, they gave we gave up what? Two, two or two or four sacks. I can't remember uh, what the stat was, but Peters I know didn't have anything. Alex Padilla had two sacks. So, but yeah, I think the pass protection got really good. Um, the one comment, well, I had a couple comments. The one comment I think I'm going to address the elephant in the room, and I think I speak for every fan, big like Iowa, Nebraska, especially Iowa State. The refereeing this year has been just god awful. And I don't know if either you, Corey, or Coach can comment on this. Are they? This is not necessarily a, I guess, a full-time job. It's more or less a, you know, for lack of a better phrase, a part-time job where they're not doing this year-round like the NFL guys. Am I wrong on that, or what's the, what's the deal with the college college reps? Is that a full-time gig, or is it just kind of a, you know, when college football season rolls around? No, you're right. It, it's um, you would think of it as officially a part-time job. Obviously, they don't work games year-round. They only work in the fall. They all have the normal nine-to-five jobs that obviously those jobs allow them to travel on Friday to be able to be in place to work a game on Saturday. So oftentimes, there are people that are pretty successful in their chosen career. I'm talking about their full-time career. You know, maybe they've had the same job for 30 years. Uh, So they have earned a lot of job security with their – their other job, if you will, and they've um, they've worked their way up through the ranks in terms of officiating. Obviously, anybody that's working a Big Ten game, uh, one of my favorite referees in the Big Ten is a referee I knew when I was coaching at Western Illinois because he was, at the time, working for our conference, and he's one that's the most highly thought of within the conference. The only reason I say that, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's working Michigan-Ohio State tomorrow. Matter of fact, it almost – bet on it that he's working that game I, I can think of one other referee in the big 10 that's also likely to work that game but you can bet that they're ha- they're going to have their a crew in ann arbor for that game tomorrow um and um his name's ron snodgrass just so i'll go on record as saying tomorrow if it's ron snodgrass you'll say yep he was right he's working he's working the, the huge game and uh it's the game for the eastern division title obviously so uh, it'll either be him or I can't remember the other official's name. But anyway, uh, these guys have all worked in the Big Ten in many cases for 10 years or more. They've proven themselves. They're evaluated week in, week, in, week out. Uh, obviously, some officials might lose their standing in the Big Ten. Others maybe that are working right now in the Missouri Valley might get elevated to the Big Ten. There's a consortium of officials and um, – I don't even know. I think maybe there's a third conference. I believe it's, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's almost certain of this. The Mid-American Conference also is part of that consortium. So if you can imagine you have officials that work Big Ten games, Mid-American Conference games, and Missouri Valley Conference games. Uh, but in general, those that are graded the highest week in and week out will work Big Ten games. And those that haven't proven themselves quite as much 
will work MAC games or Missouri Valley games. That's kind of how it works. Uh, but uh, it's it's hard to be right all the time. The only mystery to me, as I'm sure you guys will agree, and maybe it's been discussed already, the touchdown, what appeared to be the first touchdown for Iowa, I don't really understand how that how that was reversed because he was clearly in the end zone. He possessed the ball. I don't see how anyone could argue that he didn't possess the ball until he hit the ground. Uh, he had clear control of the ball until he hit the ground. I don't even think the ball would have come out when he was laying on his back were it not for the fact that a Nebraska defender was trying to move the ball away from his grasp. And somehow they reversed the call. I mean, they ruled it as a touchdown, and they said there was enough evidence to reverse the call. I will say this without mentioning his name. I know who the replay official was today, and I will say this. When he was officiating Big Ten games years ago, when Coach Hayden Fry was on the sideline, Coach Fry felt that that official had something against Iowa. Now, I'm not going to tell you his name. That wouldn't be fair, but I don't mind sharing that with you. Is it possible that some of officials, whether they want to admit it or not, they, they for some odd reason, favor one team over another? I hate to believe that's true, but I, I do know that today's replay official, years ago, Coach Fry had the distinct impression, and I can understand why, that he didn't really like Iowa, and we were never going to get a break out of that particular referee. He was a referee at the time. Now he's no. retired from being on the field. But he's still a replay official. That's how it works. The replay officials are guys that are simply finish their on-field duties, but they still have a wealth of experience. And, uh, of course, um, you'd like to believe that they're going to get the replay calls right every time. But well, that one is a that one touchdown play. But there are other, the two other plays were the first play where uh, they called Nebraska. It was a catch originally from the poor Nebraska, and then they called, ruled it incomplete. And then there was the other one where – they ruled it incomplete and they overturned it. It felt like that was just like a makeup call where it's like, well, that one probably should have been a catch. You know, obviously I don't know if there's a, such a thing as a makeup call officially, but I mean, they, you were looking at the replay and it was like a pixel of his toe on the ground. And it's just like, and you're going to go off of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in this game, I know it's the last game against, I think Northwestern and Minnesota, maybe Illinois where the officiating was just not great. You know, we saw the, the taunting penalty, against Iowa State that the wide receiver Xavier, I can't think of his last name against, I think it was Oklahoma State. It's just, I I think this year, I think, I don't know if it's because of how we can rewatch games and review games that the officials are in a lot more scrutiny, but there's a lot of, I feel like this year that the officiating staff has taken a, a huge step down to where they're, you know, where they should be. But, um, and then I think the last thing I had was that, and maybe Don, since you kind of look at the analytics of analytics of this, I was watching the game and I go to when Iowa was trying to run the ball, it seemed like they had a lot of success when they were running in between the tackles. And then when they tried to run like something to, to the corners on the outside, that's when they lost the most yards or got gained very, very little yards. Um, that's what I saw. I don't know if I'm, not reading that properly or viewing that properly, but it seemed like anytime we try to do something like an outside zone, it didn't seem like it was very successful. And yet, you know, and this kind of goes to the play calling of Brian, where I've been, you know, I think everybody has been very critical is that we're trying to, you know, do something that's not, not successful and trying to make it work. And I'll, I'll turn to, I think when Iowa had the ball, the second, the 
in the in the uh, second time they had the ball in the game, they get some runs for ten yards, and then we go PD gets sacked, incompletion, uh, and then a, like a, a bubble screen or a wide receiver screen, and then we punt the ball away. I don't. Uh, maybe you can speak on that of why. Hey, we had something that worked, and then now we're going to completely go away from it, and then maybe talk about like what's you know the outside outside zone if that was uh, something that I saw if that was something that was just not working. Yeah. But I'll get I'll let, let another caller get on. Thanks All for right, taking my call, the call. I do recall this this past week, uh, Chad Leistico uh, had done the research on it after the game, after the Illinois game, and he did note that you did not see as many outside zone calls as you saw inside zone uh, this past week. And I think that I think we had more success today running inside the tackles as well. It all starts with our center, of course. But I, I do think we were more effective in knocking them off. The ball, the more north-south run game today was better than the the east-west run game. You didn't see. Matter of fact, one time you might have noticed this: we had a fly sweep that was going to happen, and we burned a timeout because we decided. And I think we were right to think that way. I'm pretty sure it was going to get blown up. There was a really wide overhang, and it was going to be in perfect position to play the fly sweep. And the timeout came off the bench before the ball was snapped. The clock was nowhere near zero. I think the clock was around 15 at the time. So I'm convinced that Kirk burned the timeout just thinking, here's another fly sweep that's going to be a negative play for us. So it'll be worth it to take the timeout and save the down. And that's what we did. Absolutely. And before we get to our next caller, um, this question in the chat, I didn't want to just skip over it you kind of alluded to it but dale asks what are your thoughts on spencer coming in in the second were you surprised by that don i was mildly surprised because i really felt at halftime our biggest problem uh, was being able to slow down nebraska's offense and we had moved the ball fairly well uh i I think um, alex's stats were below 50 percent uh but again uh, they're always extenuating circumstances of course maybe Ball's thrown away, or maybe it should have been caught in Wadden. Prime example, if he completes the first touchdown pass to Laporta, everybody feels pretty good about the yeah. first half. And those field goals, of course, we move the ball to get in field goal range as well. So I was I was mildly surprised that we went to him to start the second half because our biggest issues at halftime really were slowing down Nebraska, I felt. Right. And, um, I agree. I wasn't, I wasn't uncomfortable with going to Petrus because, as we said all along, if for whatever reason we feel like we need to uh, get a little gain of spark, one way to do it, of course, is put in the guy that's had a lot of starts for us that's now healthy enough to play. And and um, you're right in terms of leadership. They have slightly different leadership styles, but I think they're both effective. One of the things you like about Padilla, he is cool and calm, that's for sure. One of the things you like about Alex, it's clear that he's one of the leaders on the team. I'm sorry, Spencer. Spencer's one of the leaders on the team. Um, And I think, if anything, observing Alex the way he conducted himself, maybe that actually had a positive effect on Spencer as well. He seemed to be a little bit calmer maybe in the pocket than he was in other games, Um, maybe because he realized that that is a good way to play. That's the way Alex plays. Why shouldn't I play that way too? So I think maybe that had a positive effect on Spencer. Those guys can feed off each other a little bit. They are best friends. It might be hard for the average fan to understand that they're teammates, and they are best friends. So they support each other, 
and it's not going to be a uh, any kind of personal vendetta, one quarterback against the other. That's not going to happen because those guys understand what teamwork's really all about. Right. Let's get to our next caller here. Thank you for holding and thank you for calling Iowa post game at the Voice of College Football. Who's this? Hey, Corey, this is Vincent. Hey, Vincent. Hey, guys. Um, <clears throat> well, Don, you covered your spread. I know you said uh, after the Illinois game that uh, we needed to score 28 to win, and you covered your spread. And Corey was also correct in Nebraska yet again um, losing a game uh, on their own. <clears throat> so kudos uh, kudos to you guys. I will um, say my, my I, prediction, my, Vincent, it didn't take a genius to – to make my prediction <laughs> no but thank you no it didn't but boy i tell you what the the first you know quarter and a half it certainly looked like nebraska you know had sole control of the game um and right. i with especially with the option attack that they were doing i didn't know if we were going to be able to to remedy that defense i agree um my question for you guys, I know you just kind of touched on it um, uh, briefly. Uh, Don said that he thought that that uh, pass to Laporte in the end zone was a touchdown. Corey, did you feel that way, or did you feel it was an incomplete? I felt it was a touchdown, yeah. I mean, I felt the same thing about the Tyrone Tracy over, overturn earlier in the year. The rule needs to be examined, or th- th- these replay officials need to be like brought to a training school or something in the off season, because there's obviously confusion as to what's a catch. Am I right? That it just continues to come up and it's, I mean, it's a huge, huge, huge call. You took away a a touchdown. So it needs to be looked at in the off season. That reminds me, Corey, both of you think back the replay, uh, the commentary from the replay expert, he even mentioned, he said, the fact that it was in the end zone and it was possessed in the end zone. Um, you need to have possession for a shorter period of time, maybe than if you're out on the field and it might be a case of in or out of bounds there. There was no, no issue there with in or out of bounds. Of course, he simply commented because you were going to the ground with the ball and you made contact with the ground. Then the, the it made it sound like the bars a little bit lower in terms of possessing the ball. Right. I don't know if you remember that comment, but he made that comment. And that was leading yeah. me to believe that the call would be upheld. Yeah, he did He did say that. I, I can't remember who the um, the officiating commentator was, but he, he alluded to the same thing, saying it's not – or just like you were saying, Don, it's not a, a pass uh, where the, the player is uh, – or the player's momentum is taking them out of bounds or anything of that nature. It was simply right. – coming down in the end zone and your your entire back and and rear end touchdown with you possessing the ball that that to the officiating commentator was a touchdown but obviously the guys on the on the field didn't see it that way yeah, maybe maybe you and Corey can verify i believe that was dean blandino wasn't it i was thinking it was maybe and i believe so. yeah and i think he's the absolute expert on he it. does a real good job yeah he, he so got I think that. if they'd gone back to him, he would have said, that surprised me that they overturned it. He would have said that. And I'm not trying to say that I could be a replay official, Don, but there's very few times where I disagree with Dean Blandino, and it seems like there's more often than not times where the replay official disagrees with Dean Blandino. So I don't quite get the divide there. Yeah, truthfully, wouldn't you like every replay official to be 
a Dean Blandino clone. Right. Because I think you'd, they'd get more of them right if, if that were the case. Anything else, yeah, Vincent? Uh, no, you got you guys. Sorry, John, go ahead. No, no, I just was, it was anything else that you wanted to ask, Coach? Oh, um, or just two quick comments. Um, I sure. think the line did play quite a bit better. I know the, the previous caller had uh, talked about it. it seemed like any of our inside runs um, were far more successful than our outside zone. I think that's kind of obvious. Um, or It showed on the, uh, the game tape today. For some reason, our outside zone lately, uh, we're just not executing from our our interior line to get those plays rolling, they end up for negative yardage. But yes, I think the line played played better today, just like they did last week against Illinois. Nothing crazy as far as the D line. It's something I've been kind of paying attention to my uh, when I'm watching the game. The pressure from the D line. Nothing spectacular in the first half, but I'm sure you're adjusting to the option quarterback. But in the second half, they seem to really really improve. Not only shutting down running lanes, but also getting pressure on the quarterback. Do you guys see the same? Yeah, I think so. I think I think we were a little bit surprised. The the quarterback had a little more speed. He's he's a little bit of a long strider, but he he is fast. You heard him mention that he was actually in the I believe they said sixty meter finals in Alabama or maybe hundred meters. I don't recall, but anyway, he was a pretty accomplished sprinter in high school, so he does run with better speed. I think than what we what we expected, and that required an adjustment. I think we took yeah. poor angles in the first half. And when he hit the alley several times, he made uh, good yardage with those plays. And, of course, he was proficient in pitching the ball, too, because he does have option experience. Uh, and, of course, the few times he threw, you had a good element of surprise there. <clears throat> I will mention this to you. One of the things I commented on to the coaches, I said, I get the distinct impression. I went back and checked, and I was right. First play from scrimmage, I said, you better be ready. First play bombs away. That's what had happened with Martinez in, the, in four of their last six games. They had a 70-yard completion, a 42-yard completion, a 30-something-yard completion. And so I said, I suspect they have a play in mind that they have great confidence in, and they're going to run at the very first snap. So you better be on guard for a pass. And sure enough, it's a 19-yard completion on the first play. At least it didn't turn into a 30- or 40-yard completion, but it did get their drive roll, and they were across midfield in no time at all. And, of course, they, they kept that momentum through all the way to the end zone. Uh, uh, Corey, Don, um, or question on a different note. I know we've kind of all been seeing Tyrone Tracy's. Yeah, buddy, I'll be right there. Hang My on. mom said that. Okay, I'll be right there. Okay. Sorry, guys. Um, uh, do you guys see Tyrone Tracy coming back next year? I, I certainly don't. I'll be surprised. I hope he does because there are all kinds of examples in sports where a guy faces some adversity and maybe he's even in the doghouse to one degree or another, but he perseveres and he stays with it and he ends up having a great season the next year. I think it's entirely possible that Tyrone would be in that category, uh, but I don't want him back if his attitude's not right. If he doesn't want to be a great teammate, then we don't want him back. And I, I'm not saying that he's not a great teammate. Maybe he is. Maybe to this minute he's a great teammate. I don't know. Um, I would hope so. But he, he, of course, has the prerogative of transferring. And if he's not committed to being a great teammate, then that's what he should do. 
Well, don't be surprised if you see him at Miami of Ohio, and I'm sure Corey um, and Don, if you guys uh, know where his brother's committed to, I'm sure you'll you'll see why. Um, uh, next question for our, our bowl game, or our, excuse me, our next game, be it the Big Ten Championship game or a bowl game, who do you see coming out as a starter, Petrus or Padilla? You want to go first, Corey? I'm pretty <laughs> well, sure we had the same answer. I think it, we had a uh, – let me pull up this comment from Jay. He says, I'm guessing Padilla, or Kirk will start Petrus in the next game. He's more comfortable with him, it seems like. I agree with that. Um, now, Petrus wasn't yep, very good. I mean, Petrus wasn't great in the second half, but I'm proud of him because he was ready to go. And he did make a nice throw down to Keegan Johnson. Don, that deep ball early in that third quarter, that was a nice ball. He is a nice play by the corner. I believe he is a better downfield passer than Padilla. And I think there's no question about that. Now, Padilla has other pluses next to his resume. I get that. But I, I, I've complimented Petrus throughout the season on his ability to throw the deep ball. And I think Kirk likes Spencer more. If the offensive line continues to improve, um, you know, Michigan has an excellent defense. Ohio State's has been up and down. Um, I could see. Kirk having more faith in Spencer moving forward because he's got better protection, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. It's it's a good thing. It's a good problem to have because you leave whoever you play next week, possibly guessing. Yeah, I think one way to look at it, uh, there's a variable in here called pass protection, and if we are confident we can pass protect effectively, then it makes more sense to go with Spencer. And if if pass protection is a real issue for the bowl opponent or for that matter, for the big 10 championship opponent, then obviously one alternative for us that can buy us um, maybe more opportunity on offense would be Padilla because he's simply got a little more escapability. So right. we're in a good situation there. We have, we have two quarterbacks, both of which we believe in both of which have a slightly different set. And that's a good thing. If they were identical, then what would be the point of even having the second one is an alternative. I guess you could argue that that they are exactly the same, so we might as well just flip a coin or let one play one half and one the other. But the, the reality is they have a different skill set. So if pass protection is a problem, it makes a little more sense to favor Padilla. And yet if we can protect well, it makes more sense to favor Spencer. So it's a good problem to have. Another way to look at it, too, I've said about quarterbacks, and I've seen this through the years, sometimes the guy's just a little bit off. And I, I equate it to a, a major league pitcher. You know, even the best pitchers are sometimes a little bit off. The same thing can happen uh, with a quarterback. Uh, what do they call that? There's a name for it about your your um, your your inner workings just being a little bit different. There's a name for that. I can't remember what it is. Just talking about you being more functional on some days than others. What's the word again? A gamer. I was thinking of um, um, Bionetics or something like that. I can't remember the word. But anyway, the point is, uh, if a major league pitcher can be off one game to the next, I think the same thing can happen to a quarterback. So if a guy's a little bit off, you go with the next guy. You know, you, you have a chance to recover. It's the same way in, in baseball. A guy's not not throwing very well. Well, let's, let's put a middle reliever in there that maybe – Maybe our starter's not on top of his game, but maybe that middle reliever is going to make all the difference because he has a different skill set than Um, I, 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 
for me, um, I almost have no doubt Kirk's going to start Petrus um, over Padilla, uh, just based off of. I hate to say loyalties, but that, that's just kind of how it seems like Kirk operates. But I see Petrus going in over Padilla. But I I like what you're saying, Don. Both of them certainly have different toolboxes. You know, uh, Petrus. I again saw today from Padilla, you know, more of a wobbly ball, not on target, where Petrus seems to have that tool in his toolbox, where Padilla, he seems to get his head snapped around quicker uh, on play action passes. He's trying to get his, his target downfield and get it to him quick, you know, to uh, beat a coverage. So yeah, you make key points. Um, it's good to have both styles of, of quarterbacks uh, there available to you. Um I smiled when I heard the phrase wobbly ball because I reflected back one of the key plays there in the second half was a great catch downfield by Laporta. And the announcers even commented that was a really wobbly ball. That ball, incidentally, was thrown by Petrus. I don't know if you remember the play. Yeah, but right. it was. I did see that. You're right. You're absolutely right. I, did, I thought the same thing. And I apologize to Vincent. I did, we did not disconnect him. I think we lost his uh, call we do have another caller here before we get to our next caller who has been patiently waiting. And Vincent, you're welcome to call us a little later if you want. Um, where is this comment, Don? I lost the comment. Oh, Charles Harris says, didn't Bohannon get a redshirt year and a bonus COVID year? The difference was Bohannon had an injury. He only played 10 games, which in football is the equivalent to the four games. So Hankins can't come back and just play four games next year and use a redshirt as his final year. Or Yeah, Hankins, Van Valkenburg, or any of those guys. So that's the difference on on for again guys like Van Valkenburg, Hankins and Chudak who have already used that extra year. Um and Charles says we are Gopher fans now. Let's talk let's talk X's and O's of Bucky Jr. versus the Gophers. We will do that. Um and Don, I don't know if you're gonna be with us for the long haul. We'll be here till six. If Don has to dip out early, Don has to dip out early, but we're here till, we're here till six. At 6 o'clock, Iowa basketball begins. Iowa versus Portland State. We'll be back with Coach Gary Close at 8 o'clock Central Time over at From the Hawkeye of the Storm on YouTube. So we'll be here until 6, until the beginning of Iowa basketball, and then we'll be back for the post-game show. And if you want to call and talk football at 8 over at the From the Hawkeye of the Storm channel, you're welcome to do that. All right, let's get to our next call here. Thank you for calling Iowa post-game with the Voice of College Football. Who's this? Happy Thanksgiving, fellas. This is corn and cattle. Enjoy the show very much. All right. Yeah, I appreciate it, Corn Cattle. Just have, a, <laughs> just have a couple comments for you guys. Uh, Coach, thanks for everything you did for the farmers back in the 80s. I was one of those casualties of the death of the family farm. Uh, and that gave us a lot of uh, encouragement back in those days. We were pretty beat up and stuff. And um, I grew up in western Iowa and whatnot, so... Uh, all we had was three channels back in those days, and you couldn't get Nebraska off the television set. So uh, all those great games that uh, Iowa had back in the 80s, we'd have to watch reruns of it and listen to how good the Cornhuskers were. So I've never been a Cornhusker fan, that's for sure. Um, this is just a great show you guys put on, and uh, I really appreciate it. Don't ever want you guys to give up. Uh, I've enjoyed it all season. I'm not. And, get, uh, I don't have any plans to, to give up. Is, I don't have any plans to give up. I don't think, What's Don, you, you don't plan on giving up anytime soon, do you, Don? No, I love the game of football. It's really all I know, so I'm always happy to talk football. Oh, well, I'm not a you know big an analysis like you guys. You know, I'm just like a regular Joe on the street that just likes watching the games, love the comeback from behind games. 
um, for sure. I uh, wanted to give a shout out to everybody in chat too. Uh, the chat guys are awesome. Some of the, the jokes and stuff in there are fantastic. So just a great community you've kind of built here. And well, uh, I'll let you guys get back to the show here and, and listen to the other calls coming in. But I got, have I got to ask weekend, you a question. Guys. Happy Thanksgiving and be good. I appreciate that. Can I ask you a question before you go? Yeah, go right ahead. Where are you calling us from? Western Iowa. I'm just going okay. I'll just say that. All right. Cool. Check out my YouTube channel if you like bull riding. So. All righty. We'll do that. <laughs> appreciate it, Corn and Cattle. Thanks for the call. All right. All right. Take, take care. Take care, guys. Love those calls and, and always love to put a voice to some of our frequent uh, chat users out here. So um, still some complaints in the chat about offensive play calling. I thought Brian did a pretty good job. Again, I'm frustrated with the outside zone, Don, and I know that's more than just play calling. Um, I will say this. The the quarterback sneak for the touchdown, I thought that was a brilliant call because they send Bruce in motion, which, of course, Nebraska has seen on tape. We saw Iowa get a little bit too cute with that. I think it was last week against Illinois. They send Bruce in motion to go with the sneak, and it works beautifully. And what I didn't like about it, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was on second down, so it was not a late down. It was an early right. down from the two-yard line. And I was hoping on first down that they'd go play-action boot um, and – I believe they ran with with Gavin Williams. So I did not like that call, but I would prefer – would you not agree, Don, you'd prefer if I was going to run a QB sneak in that situation, you've got to do something other than just line up and run it. You've got to send somebody in motion and at least give the idea you're going to do something else. Yeah, you got to give them something else to think about, um, some kind of motion that maybe suggests something else. Um, talking about play calling, I thought Brian had the right approach. You know, It was a pretty aggressive approach if you think back – even, I believe, on that first or second drive, uh, we had a short yardage play. We, we ran we ran the Minnesota play that they ran against us where we delayed uh, Laporta and then hit him down the field. Remember that? That was either third and short or fourth and short. I can't remember. I know it was a critical down. We converted Don. that. And then on the goal line, of course, on fourth and one, we threw the ball too. I'll tell you this, though. Second quarter, second and one, four minutes left to go in the second quarter. We run the ball for two yards. Third quarter, second and three, we run the ball for three yards. We do not take advantage of waste downs like I'd, I'd like them to, and it's frustrating because we don't have very many waste downs because we don't typically get seven, eight yards on first. Yeah, I honestly don't know what our percentages are on, on waste downs. Uh, I'd be really disappointed if our, if our offensive staff was not aware of what our percentages are. And I think it's safe to say I'd, I wish we'd take advantage of a few more waste downs. I, feel, I have the same sense that you do that we don't take advantage of very many of them. Yeah, I make a mental note, and I usually make a note because we don't have very many. I always make a note of them, and I don't know the last time we've taken advantage of one. Yeah, if you don't get into second and one or two very often, you you tend to notice when it happens, don't you? Right. Um, in, your, in your case, you're hoping for that, that play-action pass. All right, Hyper Local says, Corey, it had nothing to do with the switch of the quarterback. It was defense, special teams, and run game, not QB switch. I'm not saying they won the game because of the quarterback. There isn't just one factor that wins anybody a game, especially when you're coming back. There's got to be a number of factors that play into that. All I'm saying is let's not lose our marbles and, and act like Spencer didn't come in here and at least lead this team to the finish line. Not saying he was the primary reason or even the fourth or fifth best reason, but he did lead this team. And he, again, 
he has had some some plays this year where he's nearly gotten picked off, but Alex has a, has had a lot in the last few games. I'm not saying that Alex isn't the guy moving forward or Spencer should be, but I do think Spencer made that really nice throw to Keegan. He did move the chains. He was composed. He didn't look nervous or uncomfortable out there, and that's a tough place to play, Don. you got to give Spencer some credit for what he did do. I thought both quarterbacks uh, maintained their poise really well, I thought. I'm talking about our quarterbacks. First half, you could say the same thing about Alex. He looked like he was never flustered. Um, you know, I didn't see either one of them ever go into panic mode. And we don't know. I mean, we don't know. You brought up about uh, the leadership of Spencer Petrus. We don't know what the locker room, how they feel about the quarterback position. I mean, I think our, to be honest, they feel very comfortable with either one. And that you might be right there. So the bottom line is you can't argue with the result today that's not to say that it's the move going forward but spencer petrus came in in the second half and iowa overcame a 21 to 6 deficit um and that's that's a positive skylar mummert says regani kind of fell off he has struggled with drops and uh, he's just struggled in general don what are your thoughts on nico well I, I did make a note because i think it'll get overlooked otherwise let me find it here um here it is unforced error Illegal formation negates a, negates a great catch by Laporta. The third down pass is intercepted without Regani stripping the defender. I don't remember the play. It's a poor decision by Alex to throw it because yes. the, the underneath defender was in great position. Regani did a good job of actually breaking up the interception, and the result of that was a 51-yard field goal for Iowa. So I think we need to never lose sight of the fact Here's a here's an unusual play on the part of Regani. He's breaking up an interception. One play later, we kick a field goal. The fact that he broke up that interception enabled us to hit a 51-yard field goal on the very next play. Uh, we had another one of those in some other point in the game. Let me find it. Yeah, on third down, this was not a heroic play on our part. It was simply a drop on the part of Nebraska. Tanner, number two, on third down, Dropped the pass. You remember the play. He was underneath and um, in great position to intercept. He didn't do it. One play later, 48-yard field goal by Shudak. So those two, the fact that those two interceptions did not happen directly related to six points on the scoreboard at the end of the game. You're right. And our, our caller queue is full right now. We appreciate everybody calling. And before we take our next call, Don, was the Keegan, would you consider the Keegan Johnson, the throw from Petrus early in the third, would you consider that a drop or was that just a really good play by the defender? I thought that was simply a PBU, a pass broken up by the defender. I would not count it as a drop. Good it was throw, a nice though, throw. Don. It couldn't have been thrown much better, but it was well no. defended. It's a perfect throw from Spencer. Let's let's give him credit for that. Thank you for calling Iowa postgame with the Voice of College Football, who's on the line. This is James. Hey, James. Hey, um, so happy for the Hawk win, obviously. Um, an observation I made, I want you to confirm or deny, if you could, please. Um, running games seem to not be quite as strong when Petrus was in there. And to my eye, it seems like Petrus takes longer to get the ball to the carrier. So if that is the case, which it may not be, but if it is the case, then is that split second of time enough time to close the running lanes up. And that's why we're not um, moving the balls well on the ground with Peterson there. Just well, we'll say I'll uh, hang up and okay. 
Appreciate, appreciate the call, uh, caller. And, and I will say before you want to answer that, Don, um, I will say that the 50-yard run from Goodson, which really broke that offense or that touchdown open um, or initiated it, was when Spencer was in the game. Is there anything to what that caller is suggesting? I wouldn't give Spencer any credit for that run play, and I wouldn't give Alex any credit for, for the same run play if he were in the game. That just all related to the blocking up front and the path chosen by, by Tyler. Um, you know, it's a simple job to get the ball to the back. That really should never be an issue. Doesn't require do you feel a lot like of skill. Longer, Don? Do you feel like the ball? He does take longer to get the ball to, to Tyler, and, and that throws off timing. I don't think it matters a whole lot. Um, you know, the path that the backs run is the same path for one or the other. Maybe, maybe Tyler delays a split second, knowing that it's going to be a little harder for Petrus to get there, but. Uh, I can't sit here and definitively tell you that he's a little bit slower to the exchange point than than um, Padilla. I, I don't know if if he is. You're measuring it in hundreds of a second, so I don't really think it has much to do at all with uh, productivity beyond the exchange. All right, let's uh, take our next call. Thank you for calling Iowa post game at the Voice of College Football. Who's on the line? Hey, Corey and Don. This is Lee in Fairfield. Hey, Lee and Fairfield, had a how are you? Thanksgiving. Appreciate it. How how is uh, the thriving metropolis of uh, Fairfield, Iowa? Well, we've had our issues uh, lately, but uh, we're rebounding, and just uh, I'm thankful that uh, they have the Hawkeyes and sports as a distraction for some of the realities of life down here. Well, I'm but, sorry uh, to hear- about the. Put- I was. I'm not Go aware ahead. of the issues in Fairfield. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, yeah, there's one that made the national news. I'm not going to delay it because this is about sports and being thankful for for that distraction. But um, the things I wanted to bring up, I thought the offensive line did look better today. Uh, Obviously, Woodson being able to rush for 156 yards, I believe it was. Uh, Protection was was decent. Uh, I still think, you know, we need to roll the quarterback out, especially if it's Alex Padilla. Because uh, it just seems like when you go back in that pocket, you're a sitting duck at times. Officiating, uh, geez, the touchdown being overturned, that counts on the officiating. The targeting not being called. That Nebraska player who made contact with the official, granted it wasn't a, a severe blow, but that to me is automatic ejection when you make contact with an official. And some of those players that should have been kicked out made key plays later in the game. And I mean, I, I I hate to see players get kicked out of a football game because that it's like when a player fouls on a basketball game. It's it's it, it's part of the game, but uh, the the targeting thing was definitely something that should have been called. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't understand how you can shove Alex Padilla in the face and shove him after yeah. the ball's out in the face, and we're we're gonna we're gonna say that's not targeting because it, exactly. it doesn't fit the guidelines of the helmet. rule. It's an Dirty yeah. hit. Yeah. It was a dirty hit. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the other targeting, it was kind of more the, the one that was even more so that should have been called because that was helmet to helmet, uh, number nine. Yeah. No, the, the, the refs were not very good. <laughs> I mean, at least the no, I think no. on replay, if the replay official, whoever that was, and I know Don alluded to who that was without giving a name, I, I think, uh, I don't know, there might be something to the history with Iowa there, but. Uh, it didn't yeah, end up mattering, but you're right. Happens. You're right. Yeah. Uh, one one thing now, obviously, we're rooting for Minnesota tomorrow. I think 
obviously Hawkeyes knocked them out of the division title, but this is a, a rivalry game. You know, it's for the axe. Minnesota will be motivated by being able to get that axe and knock Wisconsin out of the Big Ten West division title. So, and being at home, hopefully, will give them a little bit of an edge there. Yeah, I was initially thinking, oh, I don't really want to play Ohio State or Michigan. I, I'd be shocked if Michigan beats the Buckeyes tomorrow. But now I'm like, you know, let's win the West, go to Indianapolis, take our chances. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. What kind of bowls do you think we would get, let's say, Wisconsin wins tomorrow? We finish 10-2, and two, they go to the championship game. What kind of games do you think we're looking at? And who would be the opponent you guys would like to see? My personal feelings, I would love Oklahoma or Notre Dame in a bowl game. But, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's obviously going to be a good bowl game no matter what happens on down the line. You're right. Don, do you have any? I'm not, I'm not great at, at, at the bowl pecking order without looking yeah. it up. Don, do you have any comments on that? Well, I guess selfishly, I would hope that, that um, if Ohio State wins tomorrow, and if um, if Wisconsin wins tomorrow, I would hope that Ohio State would have beaten Michigan convincingly. The only reason I say that, if it's a close loss on the part of Michigan-Ohio State, Michigan would be the logical team to go to the Rose Bowl. Right. Because they'll be, right. at that point, they would be, let's say they would have two losses, right? They've got one right now. So they would they would be 10-2, and two, but a close loss to Ohio State. Um would give them, I think, an edge over us. We had, as you know, we had two losses that were not that close. So, I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Pasadena as a consolation prize? That that'd be my hope. But, but I and and for that matter, whoever we would play in the Rose Bowl, it would probably be a team from the Pac-12 that is not a top ten team either. I say that I think we certainly have a good chance to finish in the in the little old teens, maybe 13 or 14, something like that. It depends on other games, of course. But um, beyond that, I don't really have a strong preference. I'd love to see, just thinking about other teams. I know Mississippi's a 10-2 team right now, I believe. And I'd love to see Mississippi simply because they have a quarterback that I respect a lot and a prolific offense. I think their offense versus our defense would be a really entertaining game to see. And, of course, they're an SEC team. Yeah. That would be a, a fun matchup, I think. Um, I don't have any strong preferences, though, just to, just to play against a team with a, a comparable or better record. I don't mind at all being the underdog in any bowl game because that's – I think the under, uh, underdog typically has a little extra motivation to find a way to win that particular bowl game. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Being an underdog really is, frankly, something we should relish because I, I, I think that we were underdogs early in the week until the Martinez news broke. I certainly fueled the flames for the Hawkeyes to go over there with a lot of motivation. And, you know, Nebraska, my goodness, three and nine and nine losses by single digit points. First time ever in college football history. You think about that. And that would be, that'd be hard to handle. You're right. It's ridiculous. That's why I don't think Frost should yeah. should uh, be brought back. But uh, I I guess I don't really care. <laughs> I guess they can keep him. If they I want. know. I I, I want to see him back. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. That program right now, they they really thought when they were coming in the Big Ten, they would just come in here and own the Big Ten. They'd be winning title after title and just dominate us. 
four Big Ten teams, and they, they haven't even been relevant. Right. You're right. I did, I did write down late in the game an observation, and I quote, no one likes a whiner. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And the applause. I mean, did we clap too loud on the sidelines today? Yeah. <laughs> I, I call them the corn, corn suckers, and they, they say, oh, well, corn sucks. Well, uh, the, the Nebraska football team sucks. <laughs> uh, we we appreciate it, and I'm glad you said it, not me. <laughs> well, and, and I, I will say this. What's that, Don? I was just going to say that reminds me when they were reviewing the um, apparent Laporta touchdown, and of course they scored seven on their possession. We came right back down the field, and it appeared that we scored seven with ours. Right? Wasn't that our first possession? Exactly. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I couldn't help but notice on the bench as they were reviewing the play, it looked to me like um, Scott Frost was honestly surprised that the call was reversed. Now, maybe that's just the way it hit me, but I think I think the, the entire crowd was surprised that the call was reversed because I think they simply yeah. put it this way. It was called a touchdown, and they didn't see anything that would prompt you to reverse the call. So I think the entire stadium was a little bit surprised. They were pleasantly surprised. And like you guys pointed out, these replay officials need to get training and need to be on the same page with, with the rules. I mean, it just, like you say, the rule is if there's irrefutable, unless there's irrefutable evidence, the call should stand. And there was nothing on that replay that to me showed it should have been overturned. I agree. Yeah. But anyway, well, I, I will get up with other All callers right. in. I appreciate you guys. You do a great job at the show. Go Hawks. Appreciate it. Go Hawks. And uh, I do apologize to our caller there. I, I I did know about the story in Fairfield, and it is a very unfortunate story. I just forgot that it was Fairfield. Very bad timing for me to ask how a city is doing um, for one of our callers who called in. So I, I do apologize for that. Um, we do have a, a couple more callers here. Again, our lines are pretty much um full right now but the outlaw josie wales he says i was ready to slash my throat watching goodson's fumble might be a bit hyperbolic there and the first half of this game if we go to the championship game i will likely have a meltdown and end up in assisted living that's putting a little Uh, extra pressure on our football team i think are we taking football a bit too seriously if that happens don (laughs) maybe maybe that's the case Uh, all right thank you for calling iowa post game at the voice of college football who's on the line yeah, this is Phil. Hey, how are you? Good. Hey, I live in Indiana now, but I grew up in Mount Pleasant. Uh, okay. Totally a Hawkeye fan my whole life. Um, one thing I'd like to see is Goodson get the ball 25 to 30 times a game. Because <sighs> I think when he does that, he goes over 100 yards almost all the time. But just not outside zone, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I wish we'd get him out in space in the passing game a little bit more. Uh, we started trying to use too, some screen plays today. Uh, but you're right. He's he's dynamic. And then uh, as far as the quarterbacks go, I like to see both of them play in a game, take turns in series, you know, however it works out best for them. And I you wouldn't know, be surprised. That's a good point because I was going to make that point a while ago when we were talking about both quarterbacks. There wouldn't be anything wrong with doing that in a bowl game. Uh, and that would be taking a page out of a very successful Purdue playbook where they routinely play a, play another quarterback. And 
he plays in every game. Maybe one game he takes five snaps, the next game he takes ten, takes ten. Um, but obviously they, they got a little skill set again, and it requires you a little bit of extra thought. How do we defend this guy versus the other guy? Uh, so um, you could think of it this way: those two guys in combination are providing Purdue with a quarterback that's got a, a wider skill set. You know, he's actually capable of doing more things. Plummer's the better runner than O'Connell. And that's one reason that when Plummer's in the game, they're more likely to run the ball with Plummer. And yet he's an accomplished yeah, passer. Yeah, getting, getting a sack all the time. You could put in Padilla and he could kind of run around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, right. a simple example. Would there be anything wrong on third and nine? When you expect him to heat up the pocket, would there be anything wrong with inserting Padilla on third and nine? Maybe you insert him and it's not even a pass play. Maybe it's Q draw. But it's you're forcing you're kind of playing with their mind a little bit, messing with their mind. Uh, and let's face it, if he's less likely to be sacked than Petrus, and he's warmed up enough to throw, and that's not hard to keep warm enough to do that, especially in a bowl game at a warm site, then uh, you're messing with the other team's head a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. And then this the last thing I have to say is, uh, yeah, I think we need a new offensive coordinator and possibly, possibly a quarterback coach, too. You have the right to that opinion, caller. <laughs> I won't. Unfortunately, you know, I yep. wish we our offense ran a little bit better, but it is what it is. You're right. You're right. Appreciate the call this uh, evening. Thank you guys and- for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the call and hope you can continue to listen and appreciate all of our calls here this evening and the patience of our callers who have waited on hold. And again, we're here with you for another 45 minutes until the beginning of Iowa basketball. And then we'll be back over it from the Hawkeye of the Storm talking about hoops. And uh, I guess we can talk football, too, if you want to call in. Um, We'll take our next caller here. Thank you for calling Iowa post game at the Voice of College Football. Who's on the line? Hey. Hey, Corey, this is Vincent. I uh, just wanted to apologize. I got cut off earlier. No problem. Uh, phone died. Couldn't help it. No problem at all. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't us. No, 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 John. When you guys just phone uh, uh, out on me. Um, uh, the only other thing I wanted to, uh, or two other things I wanted to just real quick uh, ask about um, to both Don and Corey. I know we had a, a drive, and it was maybe even in the same series, and this alludes to the, the play calling, because I wanted to get your guys' take on it today, what you thought of it. But I saw what looked like um, in maybe not successive plays, but I know it was in a the same drive where we had either a reverse and then a double reverse or vice versa. Um, I think the first reverse didn't go for much or resulted in a fumble. Did, do you guys remember those plays? Yes. Yeah, I have this observation. What? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I, I was at that time, I was kind of in and out of the, the room uh, catching the game because I was doing something. But what, was that in the same drive and maybe even in the same series? And when I'm watching it, I just thought, boy, if it didn't, if it didn't work the first time, why the heck are we trying it the second time? Uh, which, again, brings you back to the play calling. But uh, just want to get your guys' opinion on that. Yeah, I simply made this observation do not guess in calling reverse. Uh, you know, reverse needs to be based on observation. Uh, don't guess. And obviously, the fact that we ran it twice, I don't remember the exact outcome the first time, but it wasn't anything real pa- positive. 
So I'm thinking, why would you expect the second time it to be different? And um, I was afraid at that point that we were just getting a little bit desperate with our play calling, just because I can understand it's if you're desperate for a big play, you're trying to figure out a way to create a, a big play. But to guess on reverses is um, a painful situation because it's going to be a significant minus play if it's not open. Yeah, if it were, you know, if we had Tim Dwight taking those handoffs, I'd be a little bit more uh, or more okay with it. But, you know, we don't have that kind of returner. I just, I wasn't a fan of the calls um, in the same drive. And I think it might even been the same series. And I think, I, yeah, I'm uh, on the same page as you. I think we were kind of reaching there. <clears throat> uh, Corey, Don, do you guys think, I know you guys are both aware, Ken O'Keefe was our offensive coordinator for, Oh, probably the better part of a decade. Did you guys think that he has a lot of input on our offense, or do you think it's solely just? I lost him, Cole. Uh, he was asked, "Can you hear me, Don?" I hear you now, but I, I didn't hear the question. He he was asking if he if you think that Ken O'Keefe has a lot of input on play calling and just the offense in general. Hard to know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I would guess that uh, there's some input there. He's he's obviously a seasoned veteran, if you will. But um, I think it's clear, given the fact that we've seen, what, three offensive coordinators under Kirk, that for the most part, they're running Kirk's system. So I think whatever input is from any of these assistants is limited. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I In my head, I'm thinking, you know, here, here you got somebody who was our OC, left, went to, I believe, the, the Dolphins and has come back. I wonder if him and Brian are working in concert with um, developing or, you know, putting our offense out there. If it was solely just Brian, but um, uh, next question, Corey, are you, did you say you're from the Ankeny area? Um, I'm from Marshalltown. Originally, I, I, my wife and I reside in Ames now. Oh, Ames. Okay. Yep. Uh, now is, is Ankeny fairly close to you? Yeah, it's a 25 minute drive. Have you had a, this? Is just a, a question about um, recruits. I don't know if you've had a chance to um, see. I know we have a quarterback out of the Ankeny area, JJ Cole. Are you familiar with him? And if so, have you had any chance to see him or see any film of him up that way? Not, not too much. Um, the the local. I mean, as far as local guys that I, that I really have been able to watch, it's, it's pr- pretty much exclusively. Xavier Wampa, uh, Jaden Proctor, and then certainly the kid from Kill Crow, who's at Huxley, just south. He's actually between Ankeny and and uh, Ames. He's of course a 22 recruit for Iowa. We actually just did an interview the other day with um, Aaron Graves. We'll be airing that on our channel here in a, in a week or two. But no, I, I'm not familiar with the quarterback from Ankeny. Are you from Centennial or Ankeny High? I, I'm not sure. I want to say it's Centennial, but I know okay. he's got some some power five offers, uh, not that Florida state is what they were, but I know he's got some power five offers out there. I, I see a little bit of tape on him just from what, you know, uh, YouTube has, but I don't know if maybe you had a chance to see him in person no, to get a, a close up view on. I will not, I have not, but I will uh, be sure to uh, look into that after the show. Okay. Um, lastly, uh, my last question is for Don, uh, Don, have you ever owned a, late seventies Pontiac Trans Am. And are you still receiving residuals from smoking the bandit? 
Uh, no, I can't say that I have. But a friend of mine used to own one. I get the reference, though. You think maybe I was a stunt double back in those days? What is that? that? Is that all you got, Vincent? You thought it's maybe I was a stunt yeah, double uh, back in the day. Stunt double would have probably paid a lot better than being a football coach. <laughs> oh yeah, might have, might have. Uh, gentlemen, just appreciate you taking the second call. Again, sorry for cutting out the first time. As always, enjoy the show um, and hope we get to talk with you next week about possible uh, uh, West uh, representation. Um, yes. But we'll see. Just again, guys. Stay, stay absolutely. Appreciate the call, Vincent. And for everybody, stay tuned. Uh, obviously, Iowa, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin will dictate what happens. Let, stay tuned to, to my Twitter from the Hawkeye of the Storm on Twitter because we'll we'll make some announcements about when we're going to be live. Of course, we don't know when the next game is, but uh, we'll be we'll be. Uh, Letting everybody know that here in the in the coming days, coming hours. Uh, Aesthetic Girl says, Deuce is 6'4", can run, has a cannon for an arm. Georgia, the number one team in the country, wanted him. That should say it all. Remember, Alex Padilla was also recruited by Georgia. So, um, And I've heard excellent things about Joey Labas, the freshman. So I've heard that he's really played well, at least since fall camp. So I would not be surprised to see next year this be a pretty much open competition, Don, if nobody transfers. That's, of course, uh, yet to be seen. Um Again, we see some jokes, and and uh, it's a rivalry game. Are you okay with taking shots at Nebraska, Don, or at least our our listeners taking some shots? Well, I'm not surprised because I'm sure some of our fans would suggest that that's what their fans deserve would be um, <laughs> a little bit of ridicule because they've ridiculed us at times too, I guess. Absolutely. We see a lot of uh, comments for, about officiating, a targeting call, um, springtime 0502. He wants your thoughts on that. Uh, a targeting call, not called. And then the Nebraska defender made forcible contact with an official. Should he have been ejected, uh, Don? I don't know what the Big Ten policy is, but it wouldn't have surprised me if he would have been ejected because he clearly um, made a physical move at the, at the umpire, who is a, a seasoned official, as you probably noticed. Um, but he was he was flagged for personal foul, but not tossed from the game. That did surprise me a little bit. Here's one comment about the reverses, Corey, that I wrote because I just had this observation. The first time we ran a reverse, that's the one that went on the ground. The reason I was a little surprised, Gavin Williams was the running back. It looked like there might be confusion. Is it a lateral, a short lateral, or is it a handoff? Uh, because they didn't. They weren't quite close close enough to make it a handoff, but it was such a short pitch that it didn't surprise me that the ball was mishandled because the the pitch was probably something less than a yard. So there appeared to be a little confusion about how that exchange was going to happen, and I was just surprised that Gavin was in the game when we ran a reverse because obviously the guy that's got more experience in handing the ball off on reverses would be Tyler. You're right. Uh, Hawk Mama agrees with Aesthetic Girl. She wants to see Deuce Hogan. Again, obviously these are the two guys they're comfortable with right now, but uh, we'll, we won't know what Deuce can do in a game until we see him in a game. Um, our user here asks, what was the illegal formation on the first down pass to Laporta? Don, was that a good call? Yes, it was a good call. I'll answer that. Um, there was, if you go back and look at the TV tape, we were in one back offense. We had a slot formation to the left. Our tight end was on the backside of the formation. 
Uh, he's the one that caught the ball, as I recall, right? That was negated. Let me find it. I can't find it here at the moment. But anyway, the mistake was with the outside receiver on the left side of the formation. He was our split end. He should have been aligned on the ball. He was clearly off the ball, which gave us five people in the backfield. And, of course, there's a rule that says that you have to have uh, uh, only four in the backfield. You have to have seven on the line of scrimmage. So we had we had five in the backfield, which left us with only six on the line. All right. Um, Jackie Galvin says Padilla took a heck of a shot to the head. It seemed like he was frazzled. I think putting in Petrus was the right call. It was clear Petrus was more relaxed. Do you think there was any, there was anything there that he was banged up on? Of course, he was on the sideline giving signals for Spencer. Is that possible? There could be. You just, you just never know. And that's why it's so wonderful that we have a, a doctor on the sideline that can assess those kind of things. And, you know, maybe maybe we're never even notified that he's that that contributed to the change, you know. Maybe he was just a little bit, a little bit um, groggy from the hip. We simply don't know, so it's entirely possible. But I um, uh, talking about the element of luck in a game. Remember this one. I made the comment: Nebraska lucky with a long completion. The quarterback was hit by Van Valkenburg. The ball came out, but came out way short. It was underthrown for a completion, a long completion. Set up their 94-yard touchdown drive. It was probably a 30-yard completion, wouldn't you guess, Corey, something along those lines? Uh, and it was kind of the equivalent of, of a back shoulder fade, except it was a, a post route that was radically underthrown. It was underthrown maybe by as much as 10 yards. Um, the receiver recognized it was underthrown. It all started with um, with a severe pressure by Van Valkenburg. You know, it actually affected – significantly affected the flight of the ball and yet we're lucky enough that the ball comes down in Nebraska's hands. So it happens sometimes. That's one play that went their way. And that's why sometimes you feel like this is not our day, but maybe by the end of the day, you'd say those breaks all evened out. And let's face it, the play of the game. I'm so happy for this young man uh, because he's, he's an unsung hero for sure. Uh, and that would be our, our punt blocker. Of course, uh, Henry Mar Marquez is a great young man. I know his dad very well because his dad played for us years ago. He was on our teams from 82 to 86. And um, and Henry's just a wonderful young man that has to – wouldn't you know it? He has to has to duplicate number 13. And right now, they're going into today, more people knew that Joe Evans was wearing 13. And tonight, maybe Henry Marquez might have a slight edge of uh, on Joe in terms of notoriety because – Let's face it, that was the play of the day, and it was wonderful technique. Did you notice how he laid out and got to the block point? He couldn't have done it any better. Perfectly timed. Uh, and, you know, you could argue that Nebraska's left personal protector messed up, but in his defense, there was another guy coming through his inside shoulder too. Uh, he hung with him, but that gave Marquez a chance to get to the block point. Yeah, and I'm happy for both Fisher and Marquez because they do a lot of the dirty work. And Athletic Girls really latched on to this idea about Deuce. So she wants me to ask you, I'll just ask you matter-of-factly, do you have any reason to think that Deuce is not getting a chance he deserves? No, you can imagine how many snaps those quarterbacks have all gotten since early August. So, um, and for that matter, Deuce was around in spring ball, and obviously you got a chance to make a move every time you go out there. 
So there were at least a couple of live scrimmages we know about in the spring. And there was some live work done in, in August also. And for that matter, you're grading them whether it's live work or not. Let's face it, with a quarterback, you, you, every pass he's ever thrown is being evaluated in practice. So right. he's had a lot of chan- chances to be the guy. And for whatever reason, he's he's listed third. But I'm sure Deuce understands third means I'm two plays away. My men- mentality has to be I'm two plays away. I'm not going to get a lot of practice snaps, so I have to get mental reps in practice. Um, and how's it pronounced? Labus, the other quarterback, he yep. is the scout team quarterback. I think we have a fifth quarterback down there on the scout team also. But that means that Deuce is up with the varsity all the time. So even though he's not getting many reps, he's getting mental reps. He's standing behind the quarterback on every play, and he has a chance to to mentally put himself in the quarterback's shoes and and obviously ask the question, how would I react to that same exact scenario that just played out on the practice snap? All right. Um, Darth Van, he says, love your coaches, Corey. I'd rather hear more from them, specifically you, Don, than call our comments instead of questions. I understand that, and uh, we try to be balanced with it. We don't want to put anybody on the spot. Again, we, we hope to uh, – you call in. You can make your voice heard. You're the one – you know, along with Don, you all make the show possible. So I do appreciate that compliment to Don and, and to our callers. Just, uh, you know, you, you're welcome to ask whatever questions, but please be mindful of, of the time we have and, and everyone else as well. So let's get to our next caller. Uh, thank you for calling Iowa Post Game at the Voice of College Football. Who's on the line? Hawkeye Howard. Okay, how are you driving in this evening? Yeah, later on here I gotta go go in. Um so I'm at home right now. All right. What you think of the Hawks? It's a good win at uh, Kinnick it was a really good win at Kinnick West today. Um <laughs> but let's in the two weeks, uh like last week on the first drive, Illinois scores. This week on the first drive, you know, Nebraska scores. Is the defense just baiting them or playing, just feeling them out, or is there something to be worried about? I'm, I'm concerned because it seems like we every every week we say the same thing, that this defense just starts really slow, Don. you have anything to add? Well, today in their defense, they simply didn't have a good handle on Smothers until the game played for a while. Uh, I know they mentioned on air that, that Phil had mentioned, uh, in Nebraska's case, you have to – you have to figure out what the offense of the day is. Uh, the point being, in his mind, Nebraska's game plan certainly changes from week to week uh, based on who they're playing. And I think you would expect that it might be something different this week since Smothers was taking snaps. So I think we were we were kind of flying blind there in that first possession simply because we hadn't seen enough of Smothers to have much of an idea of what was coming. We ended up with a, a greater – we ended up with – several passes on those early um, possessions, at least the first one. As I recall, they were three and out on the second and third possessions. So we did adjust. In the meantime, of course, we gave up that first score of the game, which is so important to winning. Um, I think we were simply surprised that – I don't know that we expected to see as much option as we did. Uh, Obviously, Smothers is a good option quarterback. And if he's keeping the ball, which he did a lot, He's got a little better speed, I think, than what we expected. We had to adjust to it because uh, he can run and run with, with good speed and quickness. Okay. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, you know, ask about was the defense. It was kind of getting like 
this is not the defense we've seen before. So, yeah. but that's just uh, kind of give them a lot of credit. So, they've good. they've won a lot of games for this team this year. Yes, they have. Even though we didn't go twelve and zero, ten and two is not bad. So you're right. But we'll uh, see what happens uh, tomorrow with uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin, and then we'll go from there. But right. uh, I'll be listening to you later, Corey. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll have you on. The, I'll have you on. I listen. I can't watch, but I can listen. I can listen to the game too. So all right, yeah. But, Iowa uh, basketball post game. Appreciate Hawks. it. Yep. Go Hawks, Hawkeye Howard. As always, go Hawks and. Uh, I do want to address um, comment here. First of all, Ray, he says, please subscribe. So if you haven't already subscribed to the Iowa channel here, Iowa at the Voice of College Football, please do that. We are 107 away from 1,000, and certainly 1,000 helps us in a number of ways. Um, so, yes, if, you have, if you're listening now and haven't subscribed, you're enjoying the content, please do that. Please share our show out on social media. It does help us immensely. Um. And there was a comment here that I wanted to address. It was specifically towards me. Someone basically, uh, by the way, it was, it was uh, not Dean Bondino. It was Mike Pereira today, Don, that was the, uh, the officiating analyst, if you will. And he's also very, very experienced in what he does. Yes, he is. Absolutely is. Um, yeah, the comment here, I know it's close here. Okay, maybe I, I don't see it anymore. Basically, the comment was, well, the, the QB sneak was not brilliant, and apparently I was wrong by calling it brilliant. I don't remember calling it brilliant. What I was simply saying is if you're going to run a QB sneak, I think Brian did it the right way by sending a guy in motion, and it worked. They scored a touchdown on it. It was the only t- offensive touchdown of the game, so let's not get carried away. That was it, it, a call that worked, so let's not complain about touchdown plays. Um, so anyways... That, that's all I had to say on that. And Don, let's shift our attention here as I'm trying to get caught up on the comments. I don't want to miss anybody. Let's shift our attention to Iowa or to Minnesota, Wisconsin. I don't know how much you've studied this game. Certainly you've studied these two teams. This has been a one-sided rivalry. If, if we know the scenario, Iowa needs Minnesota to win. If Minnesota wins, Iowa heads to Indy. If Wisconsin wins, they head to Indy. So Minnesota is now mathematically eliminated from the West title discussion. Maybe they lose some motivation, but at the same time, now Wisconsin's playing with more pressure. What do you see as, as the parameters to victory tomorrow uh, and care to offer any predictions ahead of a, a huge rivalry game for a lot of teams? I do recall in the case of both Wisconsin and Minnesota, uh, one of the parameters that was very, very reliable in predicting a winner was first touchdown, and another one was first quarter scoring. I'll say it this way. If Minnesota does not get off to a good start and have a lead at the end of one quarter, I think they got little or no chance to win. They have to start fast. They have to put pressure, additional pressure on Mertz, uh, force him to play from behind because I think he might falter in doing that. Um, otherwise, I don't think Minnesota has much of a chance at all to come back and beat them. So Minnesota has to get out of the box fast. No other way. Hopefully they're play calling on the and so Minnesota, of course, we know is predicated on being able to run the football. We saw a lot of toss plays against Iowa and trying to get the ball to the outside. Do you see that against Wisconsin's defense? And is there anything that Nebraska was able to point out? Because, listen, they scored 28 points, uh, albeit with uh, Adrian Martinez, against that Wisconsin D. Is there anything that you saw from that game that was, that Minnesota could benefit from? 
You know, I, I don't know. I did see the game. I, I had a hard time finding the game. Finally, I actually saw it last night. And that's frustrating for me because I never did see a 60-minute version of the game on Big Ten Network. They they had a lot of a lot of um, highlights in other sports other than football, and I understand that's important too. But I was just disappointed. Such a good game, and yet I couldn't find it on the Big Ten Network. And I looked for it for a couple of days. I finally found it last yesterday. Sometime during the day I found it. I actually found it on ESPNU, or I think it was, or ESPN2. And uh, it was the full version of the game. So it took me a while to get through it, of course, because it was three and a half hours. But I did get all the way through it and had a chance to watch the game start to finish. And uh, you're right. Uh, you know, maybe if if uh, Wisconsin had another opportunity to play Nebraska, maybe they would play them differently. But there were certain, certain formations that were effective for them. Um, and a lot of those throws were uh, – against soft corners, you know, one-on-one exposed cornerback play, uh, simple out routes or stop routes or, or uh, hitch routes or comebacks, you know, pretty high percentage throws. And um, I don't know that the formation produced the soft corner. Whatever reason, they played with soft corners more than I expected them to. And Nebraska was good enough. Martinez was good enough to to make those throws. And, and of course, that, that allowed – Wisconsin, Nebraska to go up in the field almost as well as Wisconsin did. Um, so that comes to mind. You know, maybe even if Minnesota puts those same formations on the field, they may not get the same alignments. But I do think that those corners, if you can force them into single coverage, uh, I think you have a good chance to, to throw underneath them and be fairly effective in doing so, especially with Altman Bell. Altman Bell's an accomplished receiver. I'd like to see – and you think about it, it's one reason Nebraska had a, a mindset today. How many Do we care how many times that Smothers carries the ball? No, there's no game next week. And worst case scenario, if we wear him down, we'll put in the next guy. Uh, but if we wear him down, it means we were giving him the ball a lot and it must have been effective for us. And sure enough, it was effective. Um, you know, it, it was certainly a big part of their offense, especially in the first half. Charles wants to see you as a stuntman, Don. Well, that would be a short career, I'm sure. <laughs> I can't imagine having to go through some of the things that they have to go through. Incidentally, a lot of the listeners may not know this, or they aware that Quinn Early, for many, many years, was a stuntman in Hollywood. I was not, I was not aware of that. That is, yeah, certainly was, and I, I forget who he who he played, but he played in any number of big movies uh, as a stuntman. So maybe if you Google Quinn, you'll you'll be able to read up on that. I don't know which movies, but. I do know that he made a good living as a stuntman. Doug Phelps says that Ferentz said in his press conference jokingly that if Deuce was the starter, um, he as the head coach might have stayed home in Iowa City. That's I don't again, I don't know if that's true, Don, but that's not necessarily a good thing to say, is it? No, I think Kirk was just trying to be funny. Um <laughs> uh, well, again, you've got your clear number one and number two. That could change next year, but uh you know, I understand that quarterback position has not been a position of strength. We understand that. So, um, you know, and I appreciate this comment from Kevin, too. It's fun to hear everyone else talk. That's what separates this show from all the other shows that talk Iowa sports. The fans can voice their thoughts. That's what we're trying to do and, and connect that, connect you fans to someone who is such an expert about Iowa football like Don. So, um, again, we hope that uh, we're doing that. 
And let me see if I'm missing anybody here. Corey, I look at it this way. If we don't have callers, then we don't have much of a show. They're, well, they're part of the show. Don't sell yourself short, Don. Um, um, I think if I think if we don't have you, there's not much of a show. <laughs> so maybe a few sad souls would tune in to listen to me rant about QB sneaks and, and fullback dives on, on fourth and two. But <laughs> Incidentally, how about this for a change-up? How about our place to potty bomb? Oh, man, what a run. What a run by that fella. Out of splitbacks, as I recall. I believe it was splitbacks. But this much I do know, we gave him a false key. Our lineman actually stepped off inside to the left, and we ran outside of him, and it was effective. 26 yards on one play. Potterbaum looked pretty good with the ball under his arm, didn't he? He was running down the field like he he meant business. I thought it was a touchdown, John. As Coach Fry would say, like he was hell-bent for election. That's one of D-Dub says he likes my no-nonsense attitude. I appreciate that. I try to be no-nonsense. Um, yeah, somebody – I've seen this question a couple times. Springtime 0502. Was Kerner banged up in the third? Apparently he wasn't out there most of the third quarter. Don, did you notice that and did you – I didn't realize that. I didn't realize he was out of the game for any length of time. Um, I knew he was a little bit banged up because one time I noticed him walking back away from um, – a tackle. He appeared, it was, even though it was a tight shot, it appeared that he had a little bit of a limp in his, in his gate. Uh, maybe that's not true, but that's what it appeared to be. I remember thinking, is he a little bit, a little bit nicked up? And I, I think he probably was. Here's a couple of uh, observations. You might remember there was a sack. They actually brought their corner um, off of a tight edge. You know, the widest player on the field was a tight end. Uh, the running back released to that side of the formation but the point is the cornerback wasn't supposed to rush. Well, obviously, we have to account for him somehow. So there's only two options. Either the running back needs to block that corner when he comes or the running back has to look for the ball. The running back did not go hot. That's the term we use, meaning we know we can't protect against this guy. So somebody's got to look for the ball. The obvious person would have been the running back. So it was uh, and uh, it was Tyler. So um, obviously, they didn't expect the corner to come. But we got to do one or two things. We either got to block the corner, and the only person in position to do it is the running back, or the running back has to look for the ball right now, uh, which is what we call a hot throw. Of course, you got to get rid of the ball before before the corner arrives. We are not quite done here. Again, we're we're talking Iowa football and, and Iowa Nebraska for the next fifteen minutes or so. But I want to remind everybody: we'll have an opportunity. Iowa Portland State men's basketball today at six. So that's why we're jumping off at six. BTN Plus will be back with Iowa basketball post game with Coach Gary Close at 8.05 p.m., approximately 8.05 p.m. Okay, it's not the same channel. So if you haven't already subscribed to From the Hawkeye of the Storm on YouTube, do that and you can catch our live post game with Coach Close following the game. And Coach Close, I, my understanding is he's actually down in Iowa City visiting his family. So he'll be with us for a while. So after he jumps off, if anybody wants to call in and talk football after 8 o'clock, be happy to do that so again head over to from the hawkeye of the storm on youtube we're also on twitter facebook spotify anchor wherever you listen to podcasts and again we'll have this show as well as our shows with coach close on a podcast um later on this evening again from the hawkeye of the storm so just wanted to throw that in there for everybody as well craig says personally i think 10 and 2 is great considering the youth and injuries on the o and d lines amazing showing of guts and determination and coming back from so far behind. Give Kirk all the credit. 
Um, it's a good day. I mean, we're we're I, I I'm trying to stay positive about this because there's not much you can be negative about when you're ten and two, Don. I, again, it's it's frustrating relying on another team to lose to win a title, but ten and two is a really darn good season. Can we agree on that, Don? Yes, it is. And, and I would say this: I disagree with give Kirk all the credit. Even Kirk would tell you, no, don't give Kirk all the credit. Uh, everyone deserves credit: the players, the assistant coaches, the trainers and the head coach. They all deserve credit. Absolutely. Um, interesting comment here from Hawkeye Howard. He doesn't think Kirk will be here next next year, Don. Um, that's all speculation. Do you have any reason to think that, that there's any substance behind that? No, I do not. I don't know hey, for Kirk. sure, of course, but I'm, I consider myself to be a good friend of Kirk, and I think he feels the same way toward me. And um no, I that would that would shock me. Kirk's in good health, and I think he's having a lot of fun coaching, and I think he'll continue to coach. All right, I want to address this quantum bear trap. The second stop blocking comments. Uh, I have not blocked any of quantum bear trap. The second's comments. Okay, the only time I'm ever going to block a comment, and the only time Mark is ever going to block a comment, and we're the only two people who are running this channel. The only time we're ever going to block a comment is if you're using vulgarities or what we'd consider hate speech. Um, we, we give people a pretty long leash here. Now, there are times when comments are flagged by YouTube and they're thrown into a queue. Um, so you won't see the comment. That doesn't mean it was blocked. So I want to make that clear. Okay, we're not blocking anybody's comments unless it's hateful or vulgar in nature. So just want to clear that up. We, we appreciate everybody's comments. The outlaw Josie Wales says, how can Tory Taylor have a 45.2 punting average before today, which is almost identical to Reggie Roby, yet not be in the mix for a national or Big Ten punter award, Don? Well, I would say, first off, Reggie had an average of um, 49.8. That's the NCAA record. Now, maybe his career average is 45.6. I don't know where the 45.6 came from that's insignificant we're talking about one season here right uh for this season uh i would simply say this you know which punter would i rather have would i rather have uh tory averaging what was his average again well according to our listener here it is 45.2 45.2 the reality about Corey's tory's 45.2 is that uh, some of those yards are on the ground. I would still rather have, to be honest with you, I'd rather have Reggie Roby because Reggie's 49.8 was all based on length and great hang time. So he didn't have to rely on a ball to roll on the ground. Uh, one of the disappointments today, we pooch punted from across midfield. You might recall the ball went in the end zone. Well, statistically, that counts as a, if we punted from the plus 45, that was a 45-yard punt. Well, actually, the net, of course, was 25 yards because the ball came back out to the 20. So in that case, I would have rather Torrey be credited with a shorter punt. That would mean we killed it on the three-yard line. Um, so that's um, Will Smith. I think that's exactly correct. Hawk Mama knows her son. Um, <laughs> so uh, Torrey's a wonderful punter. I'm glad he's coming back. I would hope by, by next year he would be more consistent in, in conventional punting. He did some conventional punting this year, you might recall. Uh, matter of fact, after we had the punt blocked, that was all conventional punting the rest of that game. 
What was that against? Was that Minnesota maybe? The punt block was, I think it was. Yeah, I believe that's right. Um, here's something to think about, talking about the quarterback controversy, if you want to call it a controversy. My note, of course, to start the second half, Petra starts the second half, Padilla in the first half, six out of 14 for 76 yards. That doesn't sound any, like anything special, but the very first notation I made after the second half started, third down and nine, uh, Charlie Jones shakes a tackle on a drive route for a first down. He gained 12 yards. It was third and nine. He gained 12. But the reality, when he caught the ball, he had about a gain of five. And if he didn't shake that tackler, we're sitting here wondering why Spencer threw the ball on a drive route again, short of the first down marker. Charlie Jones made that first right. down. It wasn't the throw that did it. It was the run after the catch. So do you give Spencer any credit for understanding angles there? Or do you think that's just purely Not the really. guy? Okay. Not really. No, it's entirely possible. I don't remember the exact circumstance. That might have still been the best choice uh, because sometimes you have to throw the ball short even though you'd prefer not to. It's still your best choice. Maybe that was the best choice. The only point of making that note was we do not have a first down unless Charlie Jones uh, has yardage after contact because he should have been tackled. You're so absolutely hats off right. to Charlie. I do want to address this question from – Fossil Hawk. He says he just hit subscribe, but he thinks it was for the Voice of College Football channel instead of Hawkeye of the Storm. There is no button, but you're absolutely right. So two subscriptions that we would really appreciate. This channel right here, subscribe to Iowa at the Voice of College Football. We're also simulcasting, so you may actually be watching at the Voice of College Football, the main channel or the Big Ten channel. Please subscribe. You can subscribe to all of them, but please subscribe to this channel, Iowa at the Voice of College Football. And again, we also produce football and basketball content over it from the Hawkeye of the Storm. So that's a separate channel. So from the Hawkeye of the Storm on YouTube, and that's where Iowa basketball post game with Coach Gary Close. That's where we uh, we broadcast that show. So hopefully that clears that question up for our listener. And again, we appreciate everybody subscribing and listening this evening. We do have a question from Springtime0502 again here, Don. Can you touch on the poor clock management today in the first half? That's been something that we've talked about. I don't know exactly when, what he's referring to. I think it's been worse in past games. Did you notice anything with clock management today, Don? Well, my recall is they had the ball at the end of the first half, right? I know they did. Um, I think our, our field goal came with, what, maybe 30 or 40 seconds left, I think. I can't recall. Maybe there was a minute on the clock. I can't remember. Um, so, let's see, that made – that, made, that was our second field goal, right? Because we had a third yeah, field goal. Six, second yeah. Half. yeah, it was We had six at halftime, as I recall. 14-6, I think. Does that sound right? Yeah. 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 I was um, surprised. Let me just throw this in there real quick, Don. I was surprised Scott Frost decided not to take any shots with 39 seconds to go. He had time yeah, out. They had a pretty long field, as I recall. But still, um, one reason they had the lead is because they were – pretty aggressive with their play calling. So, right. you know, who is he to set on a lead? He's lost any number of leads over the season, and sure enough, he lost another one today. Absolutely. Um, springtime, he, he's clearing that. He said Iowa had to call two timeouts because of getting play calls in late. 
and that happens at any point in a, in a half. I don't want to totally excuse it because you want to have the, the right play call in, and sometimes you need to change a play call, and, and, and certainly crowd noise can be a factor in that as well. Um, Kenneth Sawyer says, is Iowa in the conference game as of now? Please explain. Well, it comes down to one game. Minnesota, Nebraska, or excuse me, Minnesota, Wisconsin tomorrow, 3 p.m. Central time on Fox. And I, I don't know, maybe somebody can clear this up. I was thinking that game was an FS1 game or a 2.30 game, but now it's on Fox. I don't know if it got moved, but it's at 3 p.m. tomorrow, Saturday, on Fox. So Wisconsin wins there in, and Wisconsin loses Iowa's in. It's as simple as that. Purdue and Minnesota have been eliminated. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's great. Isn't it great to d- at least know, Don, heading into the final day of college football regular season that, that we're still alive in the division hunt. Yeah, honestly, uh, you could do worse than to be uh, having to rely on somebody else on the last weekend of the year because that would mean you were always in position, if someone cooperated, always in position to win to win the West. Um, you know, you'd like to think that it's your fate's in your own hands on that last weekend, but the next best scenario, of course, would be for you to win your game and Hope that one other game came out the way you needed it to. And in answer to Andrew Johnson here, um, yeah, this is, I think it was what he's referring to is a Twitter picture that I think the Iowa BTN social media network tweeted out that uh, Iowa were still co-West champs if Wisconsin wins tomorrow. I don't, I, I know that technically we're tied. And I guess if you want to say we're co-West champs, if we don't go to Indy, Don, we didn't win the West. You're right. I hate. I hate for. To me, it cheapens it to to, to say that two or three teams shared the title. Uh, the, the, if there's one team to represent the, the West in Indianapolis, I think the way that I'd like to think about it is that's the team that deserves to be called the Western Champions. I completely agree with you. And Steve Sport says, "What channel is the game on?" I don't know what game you're talking about, Steve, but the Iowa-Portland State basketball games on BTN Plus. Okay, BTN Plus, so subscription only there. The game tomorrow is a Fox game. So, Don, this is a heck of a lineup. You've got Ohio State-Michigan at 11 a.m. on Fox tomorrow, and then they follow it up with Wisconsin-Minnesota at 3 o'clock on Fox. Could be the best. I'm sure it will probably be the best ratings for Fox all year. I'm pretty sure I know what I'm doing with those seven hours. I'm going to be <laughs> right there, right there with my TV. And Don, if we want to actually believe that Iowa has a shot to win the West still, wouldn't we also root for Michigan? Because we'd much Absolutely. rather play Michigan than Ohio State. Absolutely. I think we would have a better chance to beat Michigan. And according to Doug, Iowa wore BTN, BTN, Big Ten West champion shirts after the game. I Well, I'm glad there wasn't a four-way tie then because we'd have run out of shirts. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um Definitely a team win, says D. Great win today, just like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. All you have to do is zoom out, and you'll see the Hawkeye stock is raising just like Bitcoin. All right. Andrew Johnson agrees with you, Don. Um, About something. uh, Whatever. We agree with you on almost everything, Don. Is that fair? I hope so. Um, All right. A couple of reminders. Um, We do not know when we'll be back here live on this football channel, Iowa with the Voice of College Football. So be sure to subscribe. Also, if you would, please, I'm encouraging you to do this because it will help us communicate as well so you know when we're going to be live next. Follow from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow on Twitter. Like our page on Facebook. Okay, We do release updates about every time we go live. And certainly, uh, you can get access to our live post game with Coach Gary Close as well. On the bottom ticker, you'll see from the Hawkeye of the Storm, 
um, on Spotify, Apple, Google, and more. So all these shows are podcasted. We'll have the on-demand versions totally free there as well. And if you didn't know this, we do a live show every Tuesday with the voice of college football, Mark Rogers, 4.30 p.m. right here at this channel, Iowa Football at the Voice of College Football. And Don, normally I have a a uh, a game to preview for next week, but we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. So Don, this is a good opportunity to um, finish off by maybe some departing thoughts on what the season has been. I, I know postseason plays ahead. How would you gauge it? Because again, six and zero, the six and zero start. You followed up with three and three cents, um, or excuse me, four and two cents. Um, are you satisfied? I mean, I don't think you can ever be satisfied as a coach, but what, what are your, I guess, overreaching thoughts? We have a lot to be proud of. It's hard to be 10 and 2. Uh, it would be interesting to look and see after this weekend how many teams nationwide have 10 wins. Not that many. It's hard, it's hard to win 10 games. I don't care what league you're in. So the fact that we've done that is significant. I think we've been a little bit fortunate in that, you know, we've played – Nebraska without Martinez, we we didn't have to play against Penn State's quarterback all the way through, starting quarterback, I should say. Turned out some of the teams that preseason were ranked highly were not as good as people thought they were going to be. That's all nice. Our, our crossover schedule might have been tougher than it was. Incidentally, next year it will be tougher. I think we have both Ohio State and Michigan. Is that right? I know we have Ohio State. I, I think you're right. I, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I think you're right. Yeah, and there probably so, won't be a pandemic to get in the way of it this time. That's true. Yeah, at least we hope not. We don't right. need that. So, um, you know, the the bottom line though, we've made good good use of our opportunities. We found ways to win games. We defied the odds a little bit, especially against Minnesota. We lost the top five parameters in that game and still won the game. That's hard to do, but we did it, and we we should take credit for doing it because it means you must have done something else to compensate. And, and that's certainly true. There are other things we did win. How about a 100-yard kickoff return to help get you over the hump against Illinois? How about a block punt against Nebraska? You know, good teams find ways to win, and and mediocre teams tend to find ways to lose. And right now, Nebraska is the best 3-9 and nine team in the history of football, but they still have to be classified as a mediocre football team. That's, that's the reality because it's a bottom-line business. You either win or you lose. And if you're finding ways to lose, then maybe maybe the wrong people are in charge. I mean, that's logical that a fan would think that way. Well, Don, it's been a pleasure through these 12 weeks to uh, work with you on this show. And uh, it's not over yet. Um, of course, we'll, we'll let everybody know when we're going live again. Um, but for now, again, thank you so much. I know everybody, I can speak for the entire 170 or however many we've had. We, I know we were up around 200. 30 at one point total with all three channels tonight. We've had thousands of people um, respond. So uh, appreciate the uh, the insight that you always provide us, Don, and, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Corey. Here's my hope. My hope is that we do two more shows because that means we have a game next Saturday, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I wish we could say three more shows, including a, a semifinal and a final uh, championship game. But uh, a West title would be tremendous. And it all is not lost by any means. Iowa, Minnesota, or excuse me, Minnesota, Wisconsin tomorrow. That's Saturday, 3 p.m. Central Time on Fox to determine who wins the West. Of course, the game tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Time on Fox, Ohio State and Michigan to determine who wins the East. 
And we will be back over it from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Like your banner on the, the center of the screen says, Iowa basketball postgame with Coach Gary Close tonight, 8.05 p.m. Central Time from the Hawkeye of the Storm on YouTube. For Coach Don Patterson, I'm Corey Bratta from the Hawkeye of the Storm in Iowa at the Voice of College Football. We'll talk to everyone soon.